There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. This is now playing's Avengers Retrospective Series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Never heard of them. Part of the now playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. Well, I guess that's worth a look. Hosted by Arnie. It's really nice to have somebody to talk to about superhero stuff, you know? Jacob. He's like Iron Man and Thor rolled into one. And Stuart. You're a very difficult person to contact. What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, we will be reviewing all the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies featuring the superheroes Iron Man. I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly. The Incredible Hulk. Hulk like raging fire. Thor. You call yourself Lord of Thunder. God of Thunder. Captain America. You still don't want to give up, do you? I can do this all day. Ant-Man. The ultimate secret weapon. Guardians of the Galaxy. What a bunch of a-holes. Doctor Strange. Heroes like the Avengers protect the world from physical dangers. These sorcerers safeguard it against more mystical threats. Spider-Man. Are you an Avenger? Yeah, basically. Black Panther. You're telling me that the king of a third world country runs around in a bulletproof cat suit? Captain Marvel. Higher, further, faster, baby. That's right. <laughs> and the Avengers. I have an army. We have a Hulk. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. And hey, guru. Whoa, wait. Listener discretion is advised. Gentlemen, you're up. Showtime, a-holes. Today we're discussing Spider-Man Far From Home, starring Tom Holland. Samuel L. Motherfucking Jackson, Zendaya, Kobe Smulders, John Favreau, J.B. Smoove, Jacob Batalon, Martin Starr, with Marissa Tomei and Jake Gyllenhaal, directed by John Watts. This is the now playing co-host who always makes your Peter tingle, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is the host whose only worth comes from that I'm pretty, Jacob. <laughs> that you are. Thanks, babe. Welcome back to Marvel. It feels like Endgame just ended because I saw it last weekend. I don't know about you guys. No, I, I'm not going to pay full price. This movie has made $2 billion and they can't even render some CGI. Like, no thanks, Disney. Not going to pay full price for that scam. What do you mean? They added an extra scene after the credits of unrendered CGI Hulk. They couldn't even finish the scene. It was a bad scene and not worth doing, but it had never left theaters, but they did a big advertising push where if you stayed till the end, you would see a special preview of Far From Home, a tribute to Stan Lee, and a scene that wasn't in the film that was Hulk before having the lunch with Ant-Man. And they never finished the CGI for it. And honestly, I see where the scene was cut. It was Hulk rescuing people from a burning fire. I didn't go for the extra stuff. All right, they were giving away a poster. I might have gone for that. But I really went just to see Endgame in theaters one last time. 
And this gets to kind of where my mind is at. How do you follow up something as epic as the film they debuted a few months ago? Should they have made this the end to the MCU Phase 3? I mean, if we're even calling it that anymore. They ended Phase 2 with an Ant-Man movie. Why not? Yeah, and they followed up Infinity War with an Ant-Man movie as well. I think after such a heavy movie as Endgame... I liked this fun, breezy thing. I think it worked a little better than even Ant-Man. Ant-Man, I felt, was anticlimactic. But here, this did feel like, hey, let's have some fun in the Marvel Universe again. Let's remember the universe can be fun. And, I mean, not that Endgame doesn't have a good number of laugh lines, but this is pretty much a comedy with spandex. Yeah, what I knew about this movie, and really the only reason for me to be excited about this movie, was that it promised to set up Phase 4. This was the film to tell us what life would be like in the MCU after Iron Man. I think that's when this movie was supposed to be movie one of Phase 4, but much like Ant-Man, remember Age of Ultron was supposed to be the last movie of Phase 2, and then they went, oh, no, it's Ant-Man. Here, this is now the final movie of Phase 3, and I think it was filmed with the idea of Phase 4, because at one point, Betty Brant does say, it's time to move on to a new phase. So I think it was filmed with the intent of being Phase 4. Yeah, and I mean, you guys told me off air and maybe on air, they were talking like once you saw this film, you would know everything that was going to happen for the next 10 films. I don't feel that's true. I, I I can imagine that there's going to be, you know, more complications for Peter Parker at the very end of this film. But by and large, this is an illusion. Like much of this movie, this is a hologram. And when you puncture that hype, it ends up not being true. You got to wonder how much of that is because Marvel doesn't own this character. You know, Sony demanded the Spider-Man release date. And... Kevin Feige and Marvel weren't happy about it because it meant they would have to advertise Spider-Man before people knew Spider-Man was getting resurrected and they felt it undercut what they were doing with Endgame. And it just changed the mystery from is Spider-Man coming back to how is Spider-Man coming back? I remember reading some chatter online where people are like, oh no, he's dead. This is a prequel to Infinity War that we're seeing. Yeah, only five-year-olds didn't think he was coming back. I, come on. I know, I um, sometimes I bang my head into my desk when I read repetitive theories that make no sense. It, it clickbait, yeah. But maybe they were planning on Spider-Man being the new Iron Man and tying the universe together, but in the time since this film was announced and now, Sony has had management changes. Amy Pascal has even left Sony, although she's going to consult and still work on the Spider-Man film specifically. So it could be that they're not willing to put their chips in something where there may only be one more movie they have control of, and Sony is salivating like, we want the Spider-Man Venom movie now. I can't believe that after losing Tony, Captain America, Widow, and all the others, they will be happy to throw Spider-Man away as well. But they will have X-Men, Fantastic Four, not the same thing. Now, one of the few things I did know about this movie was that it was going to have a villain that had never appeared in a Spider-Man movie before. And any of the previous films, including the animated Into the Spider-Verse, we've never seen Mysterio. Yeah, I think I might have mentioned him when we did Logan, because that was based on Old Man Logan. And 
where I thought that movie was going, because based on that comic book, Mysterio pulled this trick on Wolverine where all the X-Men look like villains and he kills them all. Then he realizes he killed the X-Men in the movie. They switched it to where it was Xavier that killed the other X-Men, but he has not been in the MCU or on the big screen before. I, I don't know. Maybe in the cartoons he showed up or maybe in that PS4 game that's real popular. Oh yeah, Mysterio. He is one of the classic villains and he's shown up in a ton of video games. I think he's been in every cartoon. He's just one of the iconic original Spider-Man villains. I think every villain introduced during Stan Lee's original run has become a classic Mysterio, no different. I could pick him out in a lineup. If you showed me Spider-Man's rogue gallery... Because he has a fishbowl on his head. Yeah, he's the guy with the crystal ball for a head. He looks cool. You guys kind of spoiled something for me. I mentioned off-air a few weeks ago, he's from space, right? Because obviously he looks like an astronaut, and you guys let it slip. In the comic book universe, this is a character that was known for creating movie illusions. Yeah, he was a special effects guy. Right. So you guys had tipped me off. I mean, I knew he was going to be a villain, and, you know, I think this movie takes a long time to establish him as such. Mm-hmm. But you also had told me that this is a character that was known for illusions. And so I was looking for that. I was expecting him to not be everything as he appeared. When he's identified as possibly being a space alien, uh, you guys had helped me be on to that trick. Well, it's not like Marvel hasn't changed things up before. Yeah, we talked about that with Captain Marvel, where Skrulls, they're the bad guys. They've always been the bad guys. Nope, they're actually sympathetic and kind of good guys in that movie. So they know how to toy with even the comic book readers' expectations from time to time. And if you look at Mordo in Doctor Strange, Mordo is a nemesis, but through that whole movie, he's an ally until the very last frames. Could they do something like that with Mysterio? Could they really be setting him up for part three? I didn't know, but I was pretty sure he was the villain because they always tell you who the villain is in trailers. And I knew it wasn't going to be these non-verbal giant weather monsters that we'd see in the trailers. I figured Mysterio, yeah, if you know the slightest thing about comics and Spider-Man, you know it's Mysterio. You said he hasn't been done on screen before. There's a good reason for that, and it's the big fishbowl. Even Dan Slott, who wrote Spider-Man for a decade recently, was nervous about bringing Mysterio into comics because they felt his outfit was too silly. For modern audiences, you know, it just, it lacked the sophistication, but I gotta say this movie pulled it off. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about how they kind of make it real world-like, but I credit Thor Ragnarok for this, just really going for that comic book aesthetic, like, okay, we're out of Nolan's shadow, let's just be our own thing, let's do the bright colors, let's do the crazy fishbowl helmet. Since we're talking about villains and what could have been here, why aren't we getting Vulture again? They were definitely setting him up for bigger things and a reemergence from jail. Why aren't we seeing that? First of all, the director was asked this in an interview, and he said there was no organic way to do it. It would just be shoehorning them in. It would be fan service. Seems like a good end credit stinger you could have done. But you mentioned again, Mysterio's never been done before. Spider-Man has a huge gallery of bad guys. You didn't have to go to Green Goblin so damn quick with Amazing Spider-Man 2, you know? You could bring in all these different characters, but... You gotta look at who they've done now. You've got Vulture, Mysterio. The Sinister Six original lineup was Dr. Octopus, Electro, Craven, Mysterio, Sandman, and Vulture. I feel like they might just be building to that. Yeah, it felt like they kind of had a shocker in that last one. And, and a Scorpion, right? Wasn't that Scorpion in prison? 
Yeah, he wasn't the Scorpion yet, but it had that character by name. It does feel like they're dropping things here and there if they want to pick up and do something with it. I don't know if Sony plans things as well as Marvel movies do, but I guess we'll see. My memory was part of the problem I had with Homecoming was that Michael Keaton wasn't a good bad guy for the Spider-Man that they had. Going back to it, I actually changed that opinion. Looking back, I actually kind of like him as the anti-Tony Stark. He's a blue-collar Tony Stark. He does the same things that Tony did, only he sold weapons to gangs. Tony sold weapons to enemy states. One is perceived to be a criminal. One is perceived to be a desirable millionaire. Is there hypocrisy there? That's an interesting question. I I don't think the movie actually explored it enough. The problem I had rewatching it again was I wanted Spider-Man to partner or have more interaction with Vulture than he does in the movie. But a lot of that film is propelled by gags and the comedy and the fact that it was written by people that had done the sitcom community. You could see where the impulse was to do bits and funny stuff. And we just never got enough of that villain storyline. But I did like Michael Keaton in it. Yeah, I have rewatched the film several times since the first watching, and I've warmed to it. I think I was mixed on it before, but I do like it for what it is. It's not one of my go-to Marvel films the way Civil War or Winter Soldier or any of the Avengers films are, except for Age of Ultron, because it is more John Hughes than it is action film, but I really do like Tom Holland as Spider-Man in all three movies he's done so far. I was really looking forward to him getting another solo outing. I like the supporting cast they've given him with Ned and with Marissa Tomei. Yeah, I expected this one to be better. It felt like the first was awkward. And that first movie, it's okay. I stand by my mild recommend. It's not great, but it sets up characters that I like and it sets them up for bigger things. Coming to this film, I'm expecting bigger things. I rewatched all these Marvel films in preparation for Endgame. And I noticed when I was just ranking them, it was always the second or third attempt for these characters that I ranked higher. So Winter Soldier was better than the first Captain America. And and I liked Guardians 2 two more than the original Guardians. The only one, the only one where they got it right out of the gate was Iron Man. Like, I liked Avengers because they improved on the Hulk and they improved on Black Widow, so... Ragnarok, obviously, is the best Thor. Yeah, Ragnarok's the best Thor. So I just said, okay, they kind of, except for Iron Man, where is great the first time, they get better as they develop these characters. So yeah, I had similar expectations that the first one was fine, but I did expect this one to be better as I noticed that pattern as I was ranking them. Yeah, I agree with you with the exception of Guardians. Guardians 2, mm, but... <laughs> Guardians 1 I still love. Saddest death in the MCU, Yondu. Also, I was excited for this one because Jake Gyllenhaal is in this. I feel he's really grown as an actor over the past decade or so. And let's not forget, he was almost Spider-Man. Yeah, when Tobey Maguire was giving them attitude, he was the one they called up and said, do you want to do this? He could have been the Spider-Man in Spider-Man 2, I think. Yeah, because Tobey Maguire hurt his back on Seabiscuit, and Gyllenhaal was dating Kirsten Dunst, and so Kirsten was right there in Raimi's ear like, hey, why don't we bring Jake over? And here now, instead of being Spider-Man, Gyllenhaal is going to be Mysterio with Spider-Man. He's kind of got the charisma that Ethan Hawke has, which is to say that he's found his greatest critical acclaim in the theater. 
He's always doing Broadway. He's always getting acclaim for those roles. His movies, I never feel like he's found his role yet. You know, he's had parts that have been significant. Obviously, he was nominated for an Oscar and broke back. But each time, I think he gets outshone by a co-star. And so, yeah, will this be a movie where he can finally have the part that, you know, maybe Donnie Darko was the last time I felt like he was in a significant part that connected with masses. Not Nightcrawler? Yeah, I was going to say Nightcrawler also. No, I don't think that's a memorable film. Okay, different opinions then. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I strong recommend for Nightcrawler. I really was rocked by that movie. It didn't make that much money, and I don't think many people saw it. And it was okay. I mean, I'm not dissing the movie, but I just, it's a cult film. It's not as big as something like Drive. It's a little film about an edgy persona. And yeah, can he bring edge to a mainstream project? And let's not forget, he has tried blockbusters before. The last time we reviewed him, Stuart, was that wonderful Prince of Persia movie where he was the star. Yeah, I won't hold that against him. The thing is, I always felt like in the aughts, like from Donnie Darko, even back with Bubble Boy, I thought he was just a little awkward. From Bubble Boy through definitely Brokeback Mountain and maybe even Jarhead, I feel like he just was this awkward character with a weird, not a boy, but not a man voice. But I feel like in the past nine years, he's really matured in a way that makes him able to play the roles of an adult male with confidence. I kind of think of him kind of similar to Ryan Gosling, always kind of a little smirk, can't take it too seriously, but maybe that comes from insecurity or something. Not quite sure. Just like, I always want to see him do something interesting and an indie project or something. It's weird seeing him in a Marvel film as a villain to me. Now, Jacob, you said you've rewatched before Endgame all the Marvel movies. If you did that before whatever the next film is, do you realize that you will watch exactly 50 hours of Marvel films. Meaning, that whole I love you 3000, once you include Far From Home, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is exactly 3000 minutes long. What's I love you 3000? <laughs> <That's>, wow. <laughs> it's from Endgame. That's what when he tells his daughter. Or his daughter tells Iron Man or whatever. Yeah, Tony Stark's daughter says, I love you 3,000. And then when Tony's hologram says goodbye at the end, I love you 3,000. And it's become this big line and it's a thing. Yeah. I mean, that does sound like something that J. Jonah Jameson should be talking about on the dailybugle.com. That is definitely... .net, sorry. <laughs> But that is some Illuminati stuff right there. Uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Why don't we just talk about the movie itself? I went opening day, IMAX showing, matinee, still crowded. And I got to say, skewing very young, very female. It's very true that Tom Holland does bring out the girls for the showings. And Tom Holland, a.k.a. Spider-Man, brings out, yeah, the families, the kids, a lot of families at my theater. I went in the evening, opening night, pretty packed. I was surprised that there wasn't a preview night screening for this. It opened on Tuesday, the 2nd, and there was no Monday night the first showing, as I've become spoiled by. If I'd wanted to drive a couple hours each way, I could have seen a midnight showing or 12.01 a.m. I decided not to do that. I went to the 7 p.m. showing in IMAX, opening day. Every single seat was full, and the crowd couldn't have been more diverse. All ages, all races, tons of people there. But yeah, even the front row, every seat filled with a highly engaged audience. 
Yeah, that's rare to see these days. This summer has been hurting at the box office. I did go and see this a second time, just right before recording. I saw it again in IMAX, because, you know, they're giving away little figures. His suit is black. I thought that. Yeah. Okay. The second suit. Yeah. Yeah, it's red and black. That goes back to the original comic. Was it blue with black shadows, or was it black with blue highlights? Nobody can decide what Steve Ditko and the original colorist meant for the Spider-Man costume to be. Probably because color separation sucked back then, so it <laughs> probably wasn't even what they intended. But at a matinee on a Wednesday, July 3rd, half full. Again, a very engaged audience, but not sold out by any means. It was specially formatted for IMAX screens as well. I noticed that probably... It felt like two-thirds of the movie was using the entire IMAX screen. Only the really romantic dialogue scenes between Ned and Betty or MJ and Peter were letterboxed on the IMAX. So Arnie hit him up with the plot. We'll find out what happens far from home. After the events of Endgame, the world is reeling with half the population returned. Calling it the blip, those who disappeared return to find friends five years older, their homes and jobs gone, and society is reabsorbing the missing back into society. Back after five years is Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man, played by Tom Holland, his best friend Ned, played by Jacob Batalon, Parker's crush MJ, played by Zendaya, Peter's Aunt May, played by Marissa Tomei, and several other students, presumably half of his graduating class. Even though MJ is being pursued now by non-blipped, hunky Brad Davis, played by Remy He. But gone forever is Iron Man Tony Stark, and people are looking for a new hero to protect them from threats both alien and earthly. To that end, they look to Spider-Man, who was Stark's apprentice, not knowing that Spider-Man is really just a high school student. Even in death, Stark seems to think Spider-Man is the next great hero. Stark's friend Happy Hogan, played by Jon Favreau, is overseeing Spider-Man, helping him with new tech. And Stark left Parker a pair of glasses that control an AI called Edith that can hack any system and also call drone strikes on any target. Peter is so overwhelmed, his life-saving Peter Tingle power isn't working right, and Peter just wants to take a break from being Spider-Man, and he intends to do so on his two-week high school European science travel trip. Peter just wants to enjoy the vacation and tell MJ he wants to date her. Non-superhero Ned seems to have lucked into a romantic Euro trip as on the flight over, he bonded with class hottie Betty Brandt, played by Angry Rice. The trip is interrupted by Nick Fury, played by Samuel L. Motherflurkin Jackson, and Maria Hill, played by Kobe Smulders. The world is being attacked by extra-dimensional elementals, and Fury wants Spider-Man to help and be his new on-call Avenger. Yet, as Peter is reluctant, a new hero steps up to answer the call, Quentin Beck, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Beck claims to be a soldier from an alternate reality where the Elementals destroyed the Earth. He came with his armored and caped suit to this Earth to help defend it. Peter helps Beck fight off a water monster in Venice, and then a fire monster in Prague. But by the end, Peter thinks Beck, now calling himself Mysterio, is the hero the world needs. To that end, he gives Edith to Beck, which was Beck's master plan all along. Beck isn't from a different dimension. He's from Stark Industries, where he was fired after inventing Stark's realistic hologram technology. He and other disgruntled Stark Industry employees banded together to use Stark cloaking drones and holograms to create the elementals and then have Beck save the day so he can be the world's hero. Back at his school trip, Peter finally asks MJ out, and she reveals she knows he's Spider-Man due to all his mysterious disappearances. She also has a bit of his webbing on one of Beck's holographic projectors, which clues Peter in that Beck faked everything. 
As Spider-Man, he goes and tries to stop Beck, but Beck's illusions are too strong and Peter is nearly killed. And Beck now tries to kill Ned, MJ, Betty, Nick Fury, and Maria Hill to keep his secret safe. With Happy's help, Parker designs a new Spider-Man suit and returns to fight Mysterio again, stopping him just before the Edith drones kill MJ. Beck is hit by gunfire from his own drones and seems to die, and a restored hero and boyfriend to MJ, Peter returns home to New York, where, in a mid-credits scene, the news shows a clip recorded by Beck that sets up Spider-Man as a drone-controlling terrorist and reveals his secret identity as Peter Parker. Online reporter J. Jonah Jameson played in a Into the Spider-Verse-like crossover by J.K. Simmons declares Spider-Man a menace that must be stopped. And in an after credit scene, we find out Nick Fury and Maria Hill weren't even in this movie at all. It was Skrull Talos, played by Ben Mendelsohn, and Talos' wife Soren. They were covering for Nick Fury, who's in deep space with the Skrulls for reasons that I don't know. Phase four. But the credits and the movie are over. Oh, damn. And see, that's where I wanted to start, because when they kick off this movie, yeah, it's Nick Fury and Maria Hill coming to Mexico, passing the Columbia Pictures icon, which has become a religious icon on the side of the road. And she points out the fact that natural disasters, while important, are not the jurisdiction of S.H.I.E.L.D. The only reason they're investigating is because local superstition claims when they were hit by cyclones, they had a face in them. And so what happens here? They're aliens that are doing the work of Nick Fury because they're friends. Yeah, I think Nick Fury asked him to cover for him right. because we're going to find out in this second end credit scene, he's calls up Nick on the phone and says, we gave the glasses to the Parker kid like you asked. It was a real touching moment. John Watts has clarified the funeral in Endgame. That was the real Nick Fury. So sometime between Endgame and now, which is not very long, mm -hmm. the real Nick Fury went off to space and he had Talos step in and be Nick Fury for this movie, which undercuts a lot. It makes me wonder, was there ever a really a Maria Hill? <laughs> we don't see Maria Hill in space. Has Maria Hill been a scrawl this whole time? Yeah, there is a lot of people that wondered if some kind of cinematic version of Secret Invasion, where you find out a lot of the heroes are scrolls, was coming. They, again, they kind of made the scrolls good guys, so I don't think we're going to get that. But I do feel like, I don't know, like Nick Fury, what are you doing post-Endgame? Like, he was snapped, and now he's back, and I, I don't feel like he's really had a place after putting the Avengers together. Like, I don't know if, uh, maybe Jackson just doesn't want a big role, but it does feel weird that I guess he's just doing a space mission now. I'm guessing he went off with Captain Marvel back to space. Like, yeah. Captain Marvel and he were close the first time, and obviously he hadn't seen Captain Marvel in between the first movie and the time that he got snapped back into existence, but that Captain Marvel was on Earth, that we know Captain Marvel made enough money that Captain Marvel 2 is inevitable, and now we see Sam Jackson in space, I think they're setting up Captain Marvel 2. Well, it adds to this movie's overall obsession with illusion. I mean, this movie loves to present things and then take it away. So much to the point, I have to ask, what is really real here? What they are witnessing is a real attack on a Mexican city. 
someone really did level this city, but they did it with a hologram and drones. Yeah, Mysterio uses these drones and these holograms to create these illusions. There are no elementals. These weird things made of earth, wind, fire to just smash everything up. Can I just say I'm upset we only really get two and a half elementals out of four in this movie? Really? You want this first act to go over an hour? I'm just saying if you set up four elementals, you gotta give me four elementals. We get, this is Sandman, we get Hydro Man and Venice, Molten Man in Prague. And the last one is all four combined. Yeah, but where's the cyclones that came earlier and destroyed the town were the air, but they were not seen. All right. I'm just saying, if you set up four, you got to get four. This whole setup is so long. There's an hour of setup with Mysterio and these elementals that aren't going to matter because if you're over the age of 12, you could probably figure out that something's not right. So I don't want this to go on. I don't want four elementals being fought. I thought we were going in seeing a version of Sandman and a version of Molten Man. There are four extra-dimensional humanoid elementals in the Marvel Universe. They were invented in the 70s. They have Hydran, Lord of Water, Hellfire, Wielder of Flame, Zephyr, Mistress of the Winds, and Magnum, Master of the Earth. So just as easily we could be seeing these things instead of Sandman and Hydro-Man and whatever. Especially since they're extra-dimensional. And as someone that doesn't follow comic book lore, it really doesn't matter. They're not that impressive. They're just CGI things. And the real grabber here is that we see Mysterio enter, positioning himself as a good guy. What must obviously be a ruse, and one that they will take a long time to expose. Is this a mistake? I mean, I knew Mysterio was a villain. What I was thinking of was the first Iron Man film. I didn't read Iron Man comics. I had no idea who Obadiah Stane was or who Ironmonger was until I saw that movie. So when Jeff Bridges takes a turn to evil in that movie, I was caught off guard. Here, I had no doubts going in what Mysterio was. So the fact that they're going to wait a little over an hour of this film before they reveal to the audience he is a villain and he is his plan, is this creating a good sense of irony where we know things that the character doesn't? Or is this just storytelling where we feel like it needs to move on? If this first hour, if I was laughing and having a good time, I probably wouldn't mind, but I'm not. There's people People laughing in the audience, it's not like a rip-roaring comedy, but you know what's coming. Let's move on. Let's get on with this. It's a question of generation, right? If I were younger, I probably would be eager to get to the funny stuff because that is the stuff that the last movie did the best. But as someone that has enjoyed the MCU movies that have moved the needle forward and have given us plots that are engaged with our times and threats that are a little bit more intense, yeah, it's just forfeiting the idea that they're going to do anything at all with the villains. This movie is, yet again, a teen rom-com with just a little bit of superhero misadventure, and that's how we should think of it. Jacob, I was one of the people in the audience laughing, because when we go from this Mexico thing to Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You from The Bodyguard and have the in-memoriam video of Vision, Tony Stark, Black Widow, Captain America, and then it ends with a freaking Getty Images watermarked candles. Yeah, I like that joke. You had the watermark on the image. When they started with Whitney Houston, I'm like, are they for real? Are they trying to pull up my heartstrings, the Tony Stark and Black Widow? I'm like, I'm not having this. This is ridiculous. And then it's revealed, okay, this is the height 
high school newscast. That's cute. It's funny. And again, the fact that they still have that watermark on the image. I just love that. You see that on the internet all the time. And of course, the first movie began with a funny, it was a home movie in which Peter, like, basically created a YouTube. He couldn't air it on YouTube. He had to keep it secret. But he basically live-streamed himself during the Civil War battle. And so this is a way of getting us back into the feel and the vibe. This is the same creative team. They have kept everyone intact from Homecoming. They have not changed the writers. They have not changed the director. All of the cast is coming back except for Liz. They really want this to feel of the same piece. It's been one year or five years, depending on how you want to slice it here. They're now all finishing their junior year they had to repeat the half year that uh, happened mid blip but it's really not school anymore they're heading off to a european vacation i love the home video where you see the basketball game and the marching band is dusted and then you see another home video of them coming back in the middle of a basketball game and everybody collides i'm laughing this is the film to explain what happened with endgame like there was the snap and then there was the blip and yeah people didn't age for five years if they came back from the blip. It just seems like the world would be much more chaos with half the population showing. That might be worse than half the population leaving. I think it would. I mean, if you think about it, yes, if half my employees never came to work, I would have to rehire them. And then if they all came back five years later, I wouldn't have jobs for them. I was promised by John Watts coming in that this would show the ground level reaction to the snap. And I really was looking forward to that in this movie because... Yeah, you gotta wonder how this stuff really works. And so I was I love the way that this addresses it. There are some funny jokes here, like the one teacher who thought his wife had died, but she just really ran <laughs> off to be with another guy. He had a funeral and everything. Yeah, no, I think you can set up a, a good comedy drama, sci-fi movie with this kind of concept. I wouldn't mind seeing that. Go watch The Leftovers on HBO. It does You told me that last time. It already did. Yeah, all these jokes and all these things, the serious stuff as well. There there's a place to tell this story. What I sense they're trying to do is bring things back to normal. Let's dust this over. And this is a new development. Last movie, Peter Parker was all about Liz, but now he is in love with MJ. And of course, that's in keeping with what we know about Spider-Man lore, but that was never introduced in the previous movie. It was hinted at at the end. It was hinted that MJ had kind of a thing for him and that he might be reciprocating. It was certainly all signs were pointing to him and her being together next. And Liz moved to like Portland. So I, I mean, what would happen in a year? Of course, your mind gravitates. We all remember every year of high school is a totally different She thing. may be 21 at this point. We don't know what happened to her. Yeah, good point on that. But for whatever reason, Peter has figured out that the girl for him is MJ. And he's going to take this school trip as an opportunity to let her know. He's got it all worked out in a six-point presentation in which he buys a necklace in Venice and presents it at the top of the Eiffel Tower. I really, when the first Spider-Man Homecoming came out, I wanted to actively dislike Zendaya because I watched some Disney Channel stuff where she hosted because she is from the Disney Channel and, you know, single name, pop star, actress, Disney. I wanted to not like her because when I think of the people I know who graduated Disney Channel, like Britney and Christina Aguilera and... There's just a vapidness to them. But 
Zendaya, I really liked her in the last film. I like her in this film. She's grown on me. I can't possibly dislike her. I dare say I'm a fan who will be interested in what she acts in outside of these films. Yeah, I like that they're going against the type that you get from the comic books with MJ. They're going to someone that just seems more New York than Kirsten Dunst will ever seem. And I love her in this film because he wants to give her a Black Dahlia necklace because her favorite flower is Black Dahlia because of the murder. Yeah, it's nice to see someone that is not obsessed with Peter the way that I guess we would have thought. MJ was kind of superficial as she was originally designed in the comic book and then maybe in the first movies. And now she's too cool for school. She's the head of the science club and she even knows that he's Spider-Man at this point and she at least professes she doesn't care that much. Of course, she cares a little and that will be developing on screen throughout this film it's one of the big reveals of the film but by and large yeah she's too cool to care about anything she gets one of perhaps the best lines in this movie when she walks up on ned and peter talking about peter's plan and ned's silly ass cover is peter's going to collect little spoons in the countries we go to and she just goes like a grandma that's what grandmas do mother collected spoons yeah <laughs> i had to laugh really hard at that yeah, everyone's got to have their little thing, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, they're all going together on this trip. And of course, some of it is about Peter wanting to profess his love. But Peter is also running away. And the big theme of this movie, it was set up really by Endgame as his arc. He has to fill the shoes of Tony Stark. He was the trainee, and now his mentor is gone. And is he really ready for that? The world is certainly still in need of heroes. But he, unlike last time, where he was itching to prove that he was old enough to be a big Avenger, now he's saying no, 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 and does everything that he can to avoid that responsibility. We'll see him at a charity event with Aunt May. He's appearing as Spider-Man, and he can't really talk. He stutters. If we're going to spend an hour before he gets to the big reveal, and he, he is nervous, he, he maybe doesn't want to be Spider-Man, at least wants a break when he was so gun ho way back in Civil War, show me why. Was there something with the snap where he disappeared and then was blipped back? Like, what kind of psychological toll. Again, maybe I'm asking too much for a comic book superhero film, but to me, that would have been more interesting getting into why he wants this break instead of just the antics that they do for most of the first hour. And I do remember there was a rumor that Robert Downey Jr. was going to pop up. I knew there was stuff talking about a multiverse. Were they going to have him be a part of this? Tony is always here. I want to point out in the background, there is rarely a scene that goes by where you don't see Iron Man in eulogy. There's either some shrine in the background. Here they're in an art room and there's all these paintings of him. Teletrons, graffiti on brick walls. You can't ever have a scene without him hovering in the background. I mean, Stuart, even dead, he's the hero. I love that too, Edith. Eve. I had heard a rumor. I knew from the trailers, Spider-Man got these glasses. And they would be some kind of AI system. I'd heard a rumor that the voice for it would be Robert Downey Jr. And I could kind of see that, you know. It doesn't take a lot of work to do the voiceover stuff for this. It would probably be one day a year at most or one day every couple of years. He doesn't have to go to the gym. I'm sure they could edit something together from all his previous films. <laughs> it would end up sounding like Chef on that episode of South Park. I mean, they did it with Potato Head and Toy Story 4. Also in the trailers were a lot of scenes that you don't see in this movie. Mm. And they all come right here. There was an extended sequence 
around the time of the charity dinner where Peter stops a robbery and the cops say, are you the new Iron Man? And this is in the trailer. And he goes, how can I be the new Iron Man? I'm too busy doing your job. Yeah. I, okay. I remember that. I knew there was things that I had seen on TV that didn't show up in this film. And Kevin Feige talked about a scene that he influenced. There's a scene of Peter Parker taking all his vintage Star Wars figures to sell. But then at the last moment, Kevin Feige's favorite character is apparently Lobot. So at the last moment, he decides to hold on to Lobot. And meanwhile, Tom Holland's like, I don't know who this character is. I don't know anything about Star Wars. But all those scenes were cut for pacing, but they will be a short mini movie when this comes out on home video. You'll be able to see all these scenes as like one of the one shots that they used to put on. Just all the deleted scenes form their own mini narrative. And normally I would say, yeah, get that stuff out of here because we've got a story to tell. But I wonder, I mean, I I hypothesized last time, would this be better as some kind of television series where we just enjoy kids at school? What is best about this Peter Parker and his friends is that they're fun to hang out. They are a nice portrait of the millennial generation. And I think they connect with them. I sensed it from my audience. I mean, they're smart. You know, they don't talk down to them the way that so many depictions of millennials do. And yeah, a movie where they're just, you know, live streaming their thoughts and running around Europe. They're better at that than they are at telling the superhero stuff when they got to get to that. I feel like it's a good balance this time. I agree. Last time I thought it was far more on the John Hughes stuff here. I like the balance because Spider-Man is also omnipresent in every scene, even though he wants to be with MJ. And keep in mind, I'm the Spider-Man fan who've read hundreds of these comics. You scrapbook the comic strips. Yes. And this is the Spider-Man story. Every issue was like, do I go fight Dr. Octopus or do I bring Aunt May her medicine? You know, he's always been a neurotic superhero that in a soap operatic way, we care about his romances and does he make it to his date with Mary Jane on time as much as we care about, if not more than, some of his superhero exploits. And we saw that in the Raimi films too. I think that was one of your complaints about Spider-Man 2. And one of the things I loved was how much Peter we got versus Spider-Man. Here, I think they're getting this mix just right. I'm not a young man anymore. I'm not even close to it. So I'll just acknowledge some of it is I don't really relate to this kind of stuff anymore. Like I'm looking more at Aunt May. I'm kind of surprised she's cool (laughs) with this. She found out at the very end of Homecoming that her son is Spider-Man. And I guess because she's into activism, you know, she's hosting this Salvation Army fundraiser for the homeless. She just sees that as another version of helping out people in need. Why would she be cool with her son risking his life in this way? He's in an Iron Man suit. How much risk is there? Plus, he has a Peter tingle. Says the person that's not a parent. I mean, come on. You, if you had a kid, you would never be cool with it. She's not a parent either. She's an aunt. Yeah, what is that relationship? I don't understand. Where are his parents? They're dead. I mean, we never got that story for a third time, but I'm assuming it's similar to the comics. They're dead. We got the story in Amazing Spider-Man 2 that his parents were spies. <laughs> not and... the same thing, but okay. <laughs> also, we get a reference to Uncle Ben here for... I think the first time Peter's taking Uncle Ben's luggage, it's got the BTP initials on it. So we know Aunt May is probably a widow and that 
he is her husband's nephew by blood. No blood relation to her because Parker is her married name. But you get what I'm getting at is that she is very comfortable. She's actually telling him he needs to pack the suit because he might want to do some daring do while he's over in Europe. That's awfully lenient. A lot of parents would struggle and she's in a parental role. She may not be the biological parent. A lot of people would have a problem with their 16 year old fighting crime. Well, again, maybe because she knows about his role with Infinity War and Endgame and all that, maybe. Well, also, it's not completely unprecedented. Well, in the main comics, Peter was always trying to hide his identity from Aunt May because he thought she'd have a heart attack and die if she found out. In the Ultimate Comics, Aunt May knew and supported him, and we really saw that in Into the Spider-Verse, where Aunt May was basically Q and had all the spider gadgets... I don't know people's psychology. Like, what do they think of superheroes post this alien invasion? We do see people, like, talking about, oh, what if they come back and that? But I just kind of go with it. My question is, why doesn't he take the iron suit? Like, what happened to that thing? She stuffs that pajama version back in there. His old one. When he's back at his room, he has, like, this mini fridge. <laughs> what was that thing? Yeah, it was, like, floating around in there? Is Was that the laundry to clean it? And he couldn't turn off the light switch. They had, like, clearly, like, X'd out the uh, flip switch so that power would always be running to this thing because it's, like, swirling around in electrons. I have no idea what that was. Oh, I thought it was a turn-off-the-dark joke, you know? Light switch, light dark... <laughs> Keep in mind, it's nanotech. And on the second viewing, there's so much of this movie, I can't wait to freeze frame on home viewing. But here, there was a sign next to it that said nanotech recharging. But yeah, it was like this swirling thing that was about the size of a mini fridge. That would not have passed customs. I think she packed the old suit because people would just think that that's cosplay. I don't know. That nano suit that Iron Man had, it just all dissolves into like a little thing on his chest. They could have come up with some reason, but I guess they wanted depower and they super overpowered him with that Iron Man suit. So they got to make him feel a little bit vulnerable. And maybe May is cool with it because she's been softened up by Happy Hogan. Well, her big storyline is that he's always hanging out whenever Peter is calling home here at the charity event. Hogan is just making himself available to personally appear. And I don't think it's for Peter's benefit. He definitely will admit by the end of it they're having some kind of flame yeah it's he notices that may is in a new dress she notices his beard so they aren't having a fling at the beginning because she hasn't seen him since he grew a blip beard he did not get dusted he grew a beard in the five years that everybody was gone and can i just applaud this movie I like seeing the chubby guys get some love this time around. That John Favreau is going to score with hot ass Marissa Tomei. What? Do you not watch any sitcoms? That's always the case. Okay, but I don't see it often on the big screen. And here, Ned and Happy are going to have the hottest girls around. I mean, Marissa Tomei. Oh, man. Yeah, let's get to the plane ride because that's where they want to go anyway. That he's going to go off and Ant did pack the suit and his whole plan, you know, he had it all worked out. It's already going to pieces because he was going to share the movie and the dual headphones on the ride over with MJ. They would watch movies together. And because his lie backfires about old lady perfume, <laughs> he ends up sitting with Mr. Harrington and MJ ends up with the rival of the movie. This Brad that is so much older and presumably presumably cooler. Mr. Harrington was in the last film and he was kind of this clueless, hapless teacher. But this time around, I feel they're using him better and they've given him Mr. Dell as a partner there. 
J.B. Smoove, who I've seen on a lot of television shows and things, I think Mr. Dell is really funny in this, and Harrington, he keeps me amused as well. I like that as soon as he's on the plane, Mr. Dell's like, I'll take third shift. I took an Ambien. (laughs) Yeah, it's sitcom stuff. I mean, these guys are on sitcoms, and so depending on your feeling about that, my preference would be at the movies, we do movie things, but here in this movie, we do sitcom things. Yeah, you could do one joke about Peter wanting to sit with MJ, and they do that with the perfume, and then they do it again when he goes to the bathroom and walks out, and MJ's waiting, goes back in, cleans it all, walks out, and then it's Brad. It's like, okay, one joke, and then move on. Let's get to Europe. I did find it a little gross that we see Peter cleaning the toilet just in case he dripped any pee on it. At the very next scene, he's checking his teeth and rubbing his teeth with his hands in case there's any food in there. I'm like, I know he probably washed them thoroughly in between, but toilet to mouth is not a direction I like to go. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's a montage. We'll, we'll just pretend that he was sanitary. And yeah, it's a lot of cuteness and a lot of people hitting beats. Uh, Flash, you know, they, here's a character that has one motivation, and that is to always lord his financial wealth. He is a piddly. He's not the jock from the original series. He is this piddly guy who is not as smart as Peter, second string on those science team affairs. And so all he can do is mug from the first class that Peter's never been on an airplane before that he's poor. Ned and Flash are two characters who really grew in the comics in certain ways that these movies could never, ever emulate. You're never going to have this Flash Thompson become Agent Venom. No. It's just not going to happen because he's not tough. I actually feel bad for Flash here. I feel like Flash, I mean, a random stranger punches him in the junk. That is sad. Oh, I thought it was one of the other high school kids. But there is a thing like he's trying to get his mom's attention. And at the end, when he gets back to the States, he's like, is mother here? And I don't know if that's something with Flash and his mom from the comics. I don't know if it's just to give him a little bit of pathos, just in case you need a reason for him to be a jerk. But yeah, there is something going on there. His most interesting ripple is a joke that comes later. He's actually a very big Spider-Man fan, which is ironic because he dogs on Peter so much. It's the same joke they did in the last one. Yeah, exactly. And again, this movie is populated by those jokes. It's the kind of thing that works very well in half-hour situational comedies. You want people to be consistent. You like to plug the same people into new scenarios and see how that old behavior manifests. But there's enough players here bouncing around that I don't get tired of anyone. The only constant we have is Peter. Ned, I felt, was a bigger and more important presence last time. He was the guy in the chair at the end. Remember? He got really important. Here, Ned is going to be a single joke about how because of the fake perfume, he ends up sitting next to Betty on the plane. And by the time the international plane ride is over, they're in love. And one thing that I liked about this was, in the comics, Betty married Ned Leeds. Now, Ned Leeds went on to be the Hobgoblin and (laughs) had a bad marriage with Betty, but Betty was Peter's first girlfriend, and then, because Peter was flaky and didn't show up to dates and things, she moved on to Ned, and Peter and Ned weren't besties, but they knew each other. Hobgoblin, huh? That's like a Green Goblin ripoff? He was supposed to be cooler after Green Goblin died, killing Gwen Stacy. Yeah, Ned probably thought he'd be cooler, but I don't see it. (laughs) And he was the, actually, the third Hobgoblin. I know he's going to have an awesome hat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this Ned is more based on Genki from the Ultimate Spider-Man comics, but they gave him the name Ned Leeds. 
for reasons. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the kind of stuff that if we were Ned's age, we would all think is hilarious. He was the guy that was telling Peter, you don't want to get tied to MJ when there's so many European girls we could hit on. And naturally, the first girl to give him any interest, he's going to totally suck up to. I take it back. The funniest line isn't the grandma line. The funniest line is, Europeans love Americans. Mm. <laughs> that did get a laugh from the audience. <laughs> I'm like, maybe once upon a time. <laughs> so what's important here? I think it is important to reintroduce the characters, for us to like the characters, to get the dynamic. I forget that this is a science trip. This trip is actually designed for them to learn science. They say that, I never got it. Mm. The main thrust, and it took me my second viewing to catch this, was the Da Vinci Museum in Venice yeah. was the whole reason for the trip, and then they were also going to do some sightseeing. But seeing Da Vinci's scientific experiments in a museum that Mr. Harrington didn't even check the website to find out it was closed for a season. Well, it might be closed forever, because this is where the water monster manifests and blows past, and we get an epic battle again, in which Mysterio is going to partner with a Peter that doesn't have a suit. It suits back at the hotel, so he has to make do with a Harlequin mask. And he's useful at the beginning. I mean, his focus is saving people, and so he does have his web shooters. I guess those are the nanotech you're talking about, Jacob, because he, like, slaps his wrists together and suddenly the web shooters are there. Yeah, he has those shooters on. For the first big action scene in this film, I don't know, it felt very clunky. I'm like, is this supposed to get me back into, like, thinking Spider-Man's a great hero because yeah he's swinging around and stopping walls i guess from falling down too hard like that tower is still gonna fall like with the bell i'm like is that a venom reference from spider-man 3 they keep ringing that bell when he's trying to save the tower from falling i think it's just physical slapstick not funny and yeah i just thought it was kind of a clunky scene Spider-Man doesn't do much. He webs up a couple buildings. And the first time I saw the scene, I'm like, why is he webbing? What is he shooting? He's stopping buildings from falling down. But in the end, he fails at even that task. But I think it's to show he is not confident and Mysterio is going to single-handedly beat the water elemental while Peter... He can't even keep that building up. It's going to fall over. And if you want to put a Freudian spin on it. Yeah. On Peter's tower falling over as this new superhero comes in. I think that reading is there. And yet he isn't so cool. I mean, when he calls Aunt May later, she calls him Mr. Strange, which is either a joke on how unhip Aunt May is, or maybe a dig on how uncool Cumberbatch is. We know your feelings <laughs> about that film. <laughs> so, I mean, he is now dubbed the Man of Mystery. The term it's said in Italian, Mysterio, and this is how he becomes known to the public. BuzzFeed is reporting about all of this. People are gossiping about, is it aliens? Is it witches? And so <laughs> there's now a buzz around Mysterio. But here's the problem. We all know he's a bad guy, and yet we're supposed to think for many scenes, including the next one where Nick Fury brings them together, that they could actually be mentors and friends, that this could be a new Tony Stark for Peter Parker. That is the craziest thing, is they're like, he's going to be the next Iron Man, not in that outfit. Like, why wouldn't you copy Iron Man's outfit? You could create anything. It's all an illusion. Again, props for going with that comic book look. But given his motives here, that is a crazy look to try to be the next Tony Stark in. Yeah, and yet, I think that the, especially the smoky helmet makes some sense because it's not even him doing a lot of these fights. It's hologram Mysterio versus hologram and drone water thing. I think it would probably just be easier to render smoke that wouldn't be that detailed versus facial expressions and everything else in that hologram. 
I mean, I'll rule in and say I think Mysterio looks cool in the right movie, maybe. I mean, he looks like a, a, a magician or, or, you know, some kind of stage illusionist, which and, and he ends up being a, a sorts. So on some <laughs> level, he works as a threat because we can't see his face. There's something about him that's impersonal and threatening when we, he has the bubble head on. Maybe if it was 1950 sci-fi, yeah. But I would be laughing if I lived in the MCU and this guy was trying to tell me he's the next Iron Man. So Nick Fury shows up, although it's not Nick Fury. Do we need to comment on that anymore? It's the alien impersonating Nick Fury. Yeah, we'll just call him Nick Fury. I thought they were going to do something else because it's at this point where Nick Fury explains Mysterio is from uh, another Earth, that there is a multiverse. Because I knew Mysterio, this was all BS, that there was no multiverse. I thought that Fury was going to be an illusion too. He is an illusion, but not the way I thought. I thought he was going to be a product of Mysterio. Yeah, my thoughts were similar that this was all a ruse to suck in Peter into Mysterio's plan. And I hadn't ruled out that Mysterio might be from another Earth, just as a way of explaining why we'd never encountered Mysterio before. I knew he wasn't going to be a good guy, but I didn't know what his backstory would be. And there are so many things tied into this stuff that... This is official. This is the Marvel official comic book universe, the 616. They name it. Which is actually the main comic book universe has always been 616 because Fantastic Four's first issue, which really launched the Marvel universe, being in June of 61, so 616. And he says he's from 833, which is the home of Spider-UK, which is Captain Britain and Spider-Man as one British chap. And that Earth did get destroyed. I looked that up because there are so many. I'm like, oh, we'll get a Marvel Zombies reference in this film. We'll get a Marvel Apes reference in this film. I'm like, what is 833? I know that's got to be something in the Marvel comics. Marvel readers, more than Marvel editors and writers, are very obsessed with these multiverse numbers. But keep in mind, Quentin's making all this stuff up. He just pulled two numbers out of thin air. So this isn't technically 616. He's a complete liar. Yeah, he's Trevor all over again. And we all know how we enjoyed the Mandarin. I definitely got that vibe. Yeah. And I never had any suspicion about Fury because this is straight out of Ultimate Spider-Man comics. When I was reading those, I mean, Nick Fury was the eyepatch wearing white guy in the main Marvel Universe. But when they designed the Ultimate Marvel Universe... They completely redesigned him and made him look exactly like Sam Jackson. This was eight years before Sam Jackson was signed on to do Marvel movies, but the writers thought Jackson had the cool needed to be that spy, which is why it was such a coup to actually get Jackson to play him in these movies. And he mentored Peter Parker in the Ultimate Universe. If you have superpowers, you're government-owned. But it hit me while watching this movie that the Nick Fury Spider-Man rapport is mirroring very well what I'd read in the Ultimate Comics. So I had no reason to suspect Fury and Hill weren't real. And knowing Mysterio's plan, like obviously he wants Spider-Man to be the one to come over to Europe and team up with him. And we'll have Fury talking about why it can't be Thor. Like, where's War Machine? Where's Hawkeye? Why is it Spider-Man? Why is that the go-to? And it's the first time Captain Marvel is ever referred to as Captain Marvel in the cinematic universe. 
maybe Talos doesn't know some of the other Avengers. And so if he were Nick Fury, he would be able to speed dial characters that Talos has had no interaction with. I think Talos says as much in his phone call to Nick Fury as they're like, where are the other Avengers? And I don't know, but Nick Fury would know. And with Fury, one of the things that tipped me off that it might not be Fury is he's talking to Peter and he calls it your Earth. Not our Earth, not Earth. It's like your planet. Why is he distancing himself from being a human? I didn't catch that. Good catch. I caught later on he and Hiller talking and they specifically say, we thought the Cree sleeper cells were top secret. And I'm like, Cree sleeper cells and... I confused Skrull and Kree for a moment. I thought they were going Secret Invasion, but yeah. then I was like, oh, wait, Kree. As soon as they said Kree, I'm like, oh, are Skrulls going to show up in this film? And Nick Fury also has a third, I don't know if they're S.H.I.E.L.D. or just spies. I don't know if S.H.I.E.L.D. exists anymore, but there's a third guy there, Dimitri. And he is played by a Turkish actor, and he's a dangerous-looking man in this. You know, he's got the evil glowers and the ponytail. I think this might be setting up Chameleon for their Sinister Six because <laughs> Chameleon's real name is Dimitri and he was a Russian. I wonder if this guy's going to turn evil. So if Quinbeck is not really seeking help in fighting interdimensional elementals, then what is he really doing? We're expected to think that all of this is about a pair of sunglasses. Yeah, Nick Fury, after several interruptions trying to talk to Peter in his hotel room, which, can I just compliment the score, that it's like playing this stereotypical superhero movie score, and then every time Betty or one of the teachers knocks on the door, the music just comes to a halt and then starts right back up where it stopped. But they go on a boat ride, Tony left Peter a pair of sunglasses, and that is going to be Edith, this massive augmented reality war technology. And this is technology that Quentin developed for Stark back in the day that he feels got misappropriated, turned into a joke. The acronym is BARF. Only the holograms did Quentin develop. This AI... They credit Janice with finding out that the glasses were going to Peter, but all Beck did was develop the holographic stuff that we saw in Civil War with young Robert Downey Jr. talking to his dad, and the rest of it was developed by other areas of Stark technology or maybe Tony himself. I'm guessing Edith is like Friday and like Jarvis, one of Tony's multiple AIs. But... Quentin feels that he needs this technology in order to become more popular than he already is. Is that what his plan is, just to become popular? I don't really understand what his endgame is. Yeah, the nebulousness of what he's doing. They're worried so much about setting up the trick that I can't really figure out what the whole point is. There's, I think, two parts to this point. Maybe three if you want to go meta. The first is money. He says to his crew, and I do like that Mysterio has a crew. If he's going to be an effects guy, which isn't the story in the movie, but that's the comic story, there's no one person that does special effects. It takes a crew. It takes a village. And he's going to have a village of people backing him up. And he says, we're all going to be very rich. So through his fame, he expects to become wealthy. 
And also, you can just tell that he deems himself as more important and stepped on. And he talks later on, my cape needs to be steamed because I might be meeting the queen. I think he just wants the power. If I look at some of the things he says in this movie... I think he's a pastiche on Trump. Well, yeah, he's obviously a fake news thing. Well, no, not fake news. Trump calls out fake news. Mm, He calls out news that he wants people to think it's fake. Yes, and creates fake news. Yeah, Trump will say things, and I'm not going against or for Trump, but he will say things that are factually proven to not be truthful, and yet because he says them, and he says them repeatedly, all the way back to the birther argument with Obama, people believe it in mass. Back to the Central Park Five. I mean, it goes way back. Yeah, and so I feel that here we have Mysterio. He says people need to believe something and they'll believe anything. That's what we have going on here. He's going to use it similar to how a real estate mogul gets off on being the world leader. He's going to use it to become rich and popular. There's that element, but I also just think there's something grander about the fact that we live in times where hyperbole is the only response. People don't respond to rational thinking. My sense was that he was a scientist that never got any play because he was outshone by a narcissist. And so in order to compete with the image of Tony, certainly in death, he needs to create Mysterio. And so Mysterio gives him a platform to deliver a message that I'm not clear what that message would be. And in fact, Maybe there is no message. Maybe it's all an illusion. And he wants glasses because he doesn't feel like his illusion will be complete unless he has Edith technology. And he and his crew resent Stark gave it to a pubescent child and not to any of the people who helped actually build that tech. And they really thought Stark would leave it to, I mean, it's kind of weird, but whatever, I'll gloss over it. Well, they said they would have been fine with it going to the Department of Defense, but not to a 16-year-old. It would have been more helpful if he had gotten this last movie. But the fact that the glasses show up five minutes before, you know, the plot's already engaged and he doesn't even have the glasses yet, it seems sloppy. Be that as it may, Peter wants no part of it. Peter wants to continue on to Paris and he's bought his Black Dahlia necklace and he wants to have his moment with MJ and he makes a very good argument that if I appear as Spider-Man in Prague, everyone is going to link me to that school group that was in Washington, D.C., and it won't be long before I'm outed. And everyone can agree we want to protect Peter Parker's identity. And so when they're traveling to Prague, Nick Ferrari is not going to take no for an answer. He reroutes the school trip. They're no longer going to Paris. They're going to Prague. I'm having fun with these kids. I'm enjoying their rapport. I'm enjoying Peter's back and forth. I'm laughing when I see Dimitri is their bus driver and how Mr. Harrington feels like he argued with the tour company enough to get them upgrades and the upgrade is Prague. But while they are in the Alps, they make a bathroom break and a seamstress appears. Not the Swiss Miss. I thought it might be. (laughs) But she's there to give him a black suit that is not Venom. Basically, it's going to look like he's joined Seal Seam 6 or something. Which is appropriate if Fury had a hand in designing that outfit. 
And while he's changing into it, Brad happens to stumble in, and this is where he really makes an error. Up to this point, he's had no fault. If MJ is showing him affection, it's just the circumstance. Peter put himself in the seat next to Harrington with his lie, and Brad hasn't done anything that he hasn't wanted to do. But Brad takes a picture of this to shame him in MJ's eyes. But I almost feel Brad is justified in this. No, he's not. He's doing this to get in with MJ. Like, he doesn't care if Peter's hooking up with some European hooker. This is all about MJ. Yeah, but if Peter was going after MJ, which it was clear he was to everybody, including Brad, and Peter was hooking up with randos in bathrooms, then... Maybe if Brad was concerned, he would have asked him what's going on. Is this what I think it is? Like, ah, come on, you can't justify this. Peter, for whatever reason, when the door opened, put his arm around the seamstress's waist. He's there with his pants down. I don't think you have to ask what's going on because the answer probably isn't she sewed me a super suit. Yeah, and it also doesn't look like a place you have casual sex, though. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to believe that if I stumbled into this situation, I would quickly extradite myself, no picture taken. I would have no need to prove the truth to anyone because it was not my business. But this guy sees Peter as a rival, and this is an opportunity to take down a rival. That said, I don't know if he deserves to die, as we'll see as we have Peter testing out Edith and calling down a drone strike, which, again, it just feels like going into kill mode from that other Spider-Man film, Homecoming. I agree completely, but it is funny because Edith- It's not funny! It's logically inconsistent. Like, Edith, the super smart AI, can't hear him whisper, hey, call off the drone strike, and he's got to go, look, baby goats, and everyone looks so he could jump out the window and shoot the drone. The, oh, this is where I really started worrying about this film this whole sequence when edith says is brad a target and he goes yes it's a target and then we cut to a satellite launching drones that's funny yeah, it's a little bit funny, but it feels like a silly spy caper or something like that. It's Euro trip meets Agent Cody Banks? Yeah, Cody Banks is actually what I was reaching for. I couldn't think <laughs> the name of that thing. I haven't seen Cody Banks, but I do like the Spy Kids movies. And yeah, maybe this is some of that humor, but I don't necessarily mind it. Here, I do think some of the jokes are obvious. Like when he jumps out of the bus. I, I also want to compliment this film on its filming of the special effects. All the slow-mo Spidey stuff I love. When he's flipping out of the bus and webbing the drone. I think it looks great. I think this is honestly, when it comes to action, one of the better Marvel movies so far. Now, wait, let's clarify that. You feel like it's technically well done. This is not one of the more exciting action films. No, it's the best shot action. Not even shot, but rendered. Mm, Winter Soldier's way better. <laughs> well, Winter Soldier used that shaky cam stutter stuff that I feel is a cheat. Captain America jumping off a motorcycle onto an airplane to take it down is better than Peter jumping out of a bus to web a drone. Which is what Stuart was saying. It's better action in Winter Soldier. It looks better. It's more everything. It's better all around. No, I, this has better filmed action. The rendering, the pixels look better here is what you're saying? I'm saying however they did it with stuntmen or CGI, I can't tell because it's that good. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's no Sam Raimi. I rewatched the 2002 Spider-Man recently and Webb, Watts, neither one of them can hold a candle to the visual panache and incredible visuals Raimi brought. But I'd say this movie for live action Spider-Man has the second best visuals. I loved when they go into the slow-mo and show the flips and everything. But when he comes back in, I'm groaning at Betty like, 
Peter, you thought no one would notice, but we did. Your new look with the sunglasses and the windswept hair. And it's like, wah, wah. To me, this is just not the Spider-Man movie that I wanted. Even if it's not what you wanted, how is it doing what it is attempting to do? I don't think it's doing it good. It's taking too long to move the story along. I'm not buying into the humor. I just think it's real mediocre thus far. I think it's a perfectly acceptable Nickelodeon TV series. <laughs> and I think every time that it tries to get going again on the superhero stuff is where it really stumbles. Like when we have to have some fire monster burst out of a statue in Prague and have this carnival scene, that's doing nothing for anybody in my impression. I, again, laughing at the four-hour opera that Edith came up with to keep the kids safe and nobody's there because everybody's at this awesome carnival that the kids wanted to go at. They even have the glow sticks already. They're, I don't know where they got them, but they're all wearing glow sticks. Yeah, that's the, all the setup. But I'm saying when it's time to get down to the nuts and bolts, you ask me how this movie's doing. When it's time to deliver a Spider-Man swinging around on webs and fighting things, there's nothing there to fight and it's not very exciting. I agree in here Mysterio again comes off as the big hero while Spider-Man throws rocks. He doesn't even save people. Ned and Betty are on a Ferris wheel and if you look close, there's other people on that Ferris wheel too who never scream for help. They never get a close-up. We only focus on Ned and Betty. I did notice that. Yeah, you do see other people on that thing. No, well, maybe they're Czech and they can't speak in English. <laughs> they can't scream help in English. Okay. <laughs> they can't scream, hey, night monkey. I mean, that's what I'm laughing at. And also, one of the best shots in this movie, I just love it, is when he's wearing that stealth suit for this fight, and we first see it, we see, like, the top of a tower, and we don't see anybody there, and then a firework explodes, and we get to see that it was Black Spider-Man against Black Knight. It's hearkening back to one of my favorite video games of all time that is a Spider-Man game, Shattered Dimensions, had an entire stealth level where you had to stay out of the light of fireworks. When the fight happens, though, all he ends up doing is throwing some rocks. And Mysterio's like, oh, it's working, but... I mean, that's all he really can do. They can't really have him engage with this fire monster because it doesn't exist, and he would discover that pretty easily. He'd, like, just jump through it or something. More to the point, Mysterio wouldn't want Spider-Man or Night Monkey cribbing his spotlight. He wouldn't want this character here. He would want to get all the glory. And so the fact that they had an earlier bonding moment where he really seems to want to mentor him, it's just all part of the fake out. You know, like they're doing so much work to set up the surprise that's coming after this scene. I don't see that it's justified when you run it through your head. He's trying to buddy up with Peter and this guy is a world-class liar and basically a, he's pulling a confidence scam. And I think he realized when he saw from the first meeting, Peter wants out of the superhero game by keeping him close and making him feel like a partner, but a useless partner, a partner who can only throw rocks or try to hold up a tower, then it's going to make Peter willingly give over those glasses and never look back. And Peter will be as fooled as the rest of the globe when Mysterio saves the world from threat after threat. 
And let's be clear, the only reason why Peter is going to give up the glasses is because Fury keeps ruining his plans for a date with MJ. Like, if he could just get his Eiffel Tower, if they could schedule that in there, he would be happy to fight all of these elementals. That's what's weird about this con, is that it is so dependent on him just wanting to go out on a date with MJ and not be Spider-Man anymore. Like, that's going to get you to give up the glasses, and I guess he's got to hand him over, because he's got to give permission for Edith to sync up with someone else, because we'll see, like, just drops the glasses in this bar afterwards, and someone just walks over and is like, oh, you dropped these. I don't think he dropped them. Is a pickpocket? I think that one of Beck's people grabbed them and said you dropped these to reinforce to him, you are not worthy to even care for these glasses. Yeah, this feels like an Ocean's Eleven scam. It does feel like everyone here is working the mark and that Peter is, again, so eager to relinquish the power. Keep in mind, he is partly feeling guilty that he has to even try to be Iron Man, that he feels that he's found someone that is fully an adult and quite capable of fighting the elementals. And yeah, he can go off and have what he really wants. Yeah, it's, I guess, well played, but... Is this a satisfying villain? Now that we know he walks out the door and everything digitizes down and we just find out it's disgruntled ex-employees of Stark, is that fun? That is even better to me. Yeah, I am of two minds of this, because I where I could compliment this film is when it does just embrace the craziness of comic book logic, and that, yeah, you'd have all these disgruntled Stark employees come up with this crazy plan to, like, get their tech back and make money. I like the idea. I just wish the setup and the justification and all that was better. Great idea. Very bad execution. I love that they bring back Peter Billingsley from the first movie. Again, I think I mentioned it when we reviewed the first Iron Man. He is Ralphie from A Christmas Story and moved on to behind-the-camera stuff, but is a friend of Favreau and is cameoed in lots of Favreau's stuff, including the first Iron Man, that they bring him back, that they show us the scene of back behind the scenes of Civil War, almost like a Back to the Future 2 alternate view of when Tony calls his holograph technology barf than all these others who are equally displaced by Stark, and Stark is gone. I mean, even if they were still employed, he's dead now, and while Pepper is running a company, you gotta figure it's not doing as well with the big brain who made all the big advancements gone. These people I love in that they never got their due, and they're every people who find a way to use their knowledge and what does make them special, be it I can make up bullshit sci-fi crap real well, or I developed hologram technology, or I can program drones, all of them come together to do this. I like that it's a team. I like it's not just Beck doing it all on his own. It's similar to the way that the blue-collar villain of Michael Keaton and how he was also outshone by Stark. All enemies, it seems like, in the Spider-Man universe are people that are disgruntled that Peter's mentor is Tony Stark. Tony Stark is the problem for all of these villains. And so in this case, all right, so they didn't get their due in their time and they found a way to get the technology and create Mysterio and and now what? They're just internet trolls? They just want to be famous? That to me is a disappointment. That is a little bit of the air coming out of the balloon when you realize, oh, there's no plan beyond the grandstanding. And I can't argue that. That has bothered me both viewings is, okay, you got the glasses and now what? You know, it's reminding me another South Park reference, the underwear gnomes in South Park. (laughs) Uh, Step one, get underwear. Step two, 
question mark. Step three, profit. Step one, get the glasses. Step two is question mark. I don't know what that is. I'm not even sure what step three is. What they want is an outcome. But again, I like the idea. I like the fact that Mysterio is just a dude in a motion capture suit running around. And they kind of justify that fishbowl as I, I guess it's a screen that he can look around all over the place as he's controlling things. I like all that stuff. I just wish it was better. I'm looking for the social commentary. This is where I usually can dig in to a choice that's made by MCU and I just don't feel like it's strong enough. Yes, I do think they're right. And these days, certainly if you want box office, you gotta have a cape on your hero. People care about hyperbole. People care about superheroes. Common people get overlooked. And I think that's true in all areas of life. We have an inflated grandiose sense of what reality is. And so here's a plan to steal it back. I feel like they could have done more with that. The thing that I like very much about both these villains, though, is it's setting up the good versus bad father figure for Peter. Last time, we had Tony versus, as you mentioned, the dark shadow of Tony who took this tech and was making weapons and selling them to the underworld. Well, now Peter has lost his father figure. He is dead. Tony is dead. And we've got this guy coming in. He's not Iron Man. He doesn't have the same kind of suit as Iron Man, though the glowy lights on it do remind me of Iron Man's Infinity War suit. But when he puts those glasses on, he's got the beard. He tilts his head. Oh, yeah, it looks like him. He looks like Tony Stark. And so it's another way of seeing Peter taken in by a father figure the way he was taken in by Tony, only this time the father figure doesn't want what's best for Peter. And yet, maybe it's because of Robert Downey Jr., maybe it's the writing. I got that when Spider-Man and Iron Man interacted. It never feels like that's really developed, like Mysterio and Spider-Man's friendship here or that mentoring. And so, yeah, ultimately, I'm on your side, Stuart. What are these people representing? Like, there are ideas, I don't know if you've heard about deep fakes, where you could take someone's face and very convincingly go to YouTube, Nick Cage deep fakes, where they put Nick Cage's face on, like, every actor in every movie, and it looks very real. Like, so there are all these crazy ideas about technology and fake news and all that that are out there, but this feels all very surface level. Like, yeah, my girls understand that Mysterio is like Trump because he's just telling lies and faking stuff, but it doesn't feel very deep. If the movie were more concerned with the things I'm concerned about, this would be the thrust of the story. But we know very well what it loves to do and who its audience is. And that's why the bigger twist is that Peter is running back to tell MJ, well, he's actually just trying to tell her, hey, I bought you this necklace. I'm in love with you. But she beats him to the punch and thinks he's coming out as Spider-Man. I almost wonder if she didn't pull the Spider-Man card as a defensive measure. She says she has trouble getting close to people. I think she knows. She asked Peter to sit next to her at the opera. Peter asked her to go for a walk. I think she knows what Peter is going to say, and she gets scared at the last minute and pulls Spider-Man to deflect. No, I I think she was onto it. She runs out of the opera to follow him, and she's watching him. She found that hologram with his webs on it. No, I'm not saying she didn't know. I'm saying she knew that wasn't why he took her out there. And she said she was 67% sure. I think she jumped on it because she was afraid. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Because she is so cynical and kind of has an edge to her, you know, can't really get into her feelings. Okay. Yeah, I get it. 
Yeah, excessive sarcasm in moments where you have to be genuine. That can be the toughest. And this relationship is the best relationship in the movie. It will get the biggest reaction when they kiss at the end of this film. I do think they're doing something right with MJ and Peter here. And I do think that she's kind of guilty of what Mysterio is claiming the world is guilty of. Or at least Peter thinks so. He starts to worry that she only pays attention to him because of Spider-Man. She couldn't possibly love a Peter Parker. She has only been paying attention to him because of his alternate superhero identity. And also, you know, with the theme of illusions, all that, I mean, they call her out that she puts up these defenses as a show to, you know, so you can't really see what's going on inside of her head. Like, yeah, she's very much uh, embodies the themes of this film. Sure. And so she's now in the club. She goes back. She sneaks a peek of him as he changes into the black outfit. Ned finds out that she knows. And now there are a threesome with basically Spider-Man or Night Monkey, if you prefer, <laughs> running off to Berlin to meet up with Nick Fury and to tell him what he knows. I'm sorry. The Night Monkey gag is a recurring gag that does not get old for me. Mm, <laughs> it never took off with me. So <laughs> the fact that on the news there were Ned just had to make it up so that Betty didn't think it was Spider-Man, and he, the best he could come up with was Night Monkey, and that the news calls him Night Monkey. He gets to Berlin. Somebody calls him Night Monkey. The Netherlands. It's oh, I, I and this is where he is going to Berlin. He figures out because during the fight with the magma monster. He shoots a web, and I couldn't tell what I saw. And the second time, it's against. A lot of this movie is very fast cut, and I want to slow it down. Here, his web hits something, and it glitches. I'm like, was that a force field? Where did his web go? There is a moment where he's actually, he's firing at the Ferris wheel, and he, what he's hitting is an invisible drone. It's something that's creating the illusion, but he doesn't know it, and he actually flings that drone at MJ's feet. That's why she's able to find it, and that's why they're able to figure out what Quentin is really about. It took my second viewing to really put together that action scene, because the first time I'm like, where did his web go? I know this movie will tell me, but this is the first hole poked in Mysterio's illusion. What is it that I'm seeing here? Well, this scene, she's going to pull it out and show him that it's webbed up. And it just so happens... It turns on. ...to still be on the Wi-Fi, <laughs> because at this moment, Beck is practicing his next stunt, and this projector is going to show a smoke monster, and Peter's like, well, who would want to make this fake? And then Mysterio has to fly into the hologram to put a pin on it. And so he figures Mysterio knows everything. Mysterio has my phones bugged. I can't call anyone. I can't do anything. I had to talk to Nick Fury in person. And Nick Fury said for Mysterio and Spider-Man to meet him in Berlin. So Spider-Man literally hops a train. I think it's a very long train ride, but he ends up in Berlin. And this is best sequence. Yeah, he meets up with Nick Fury and we go real acid trip at this point. Yeah, this is why Mysterio is a threat. Even though you might be disappointed, oh, it's just a guy with drones. Well, that shouldn't be too much of a problem for a superhero to take down. But the problem is because Peter doubts himself, doesn't trust his tingle, he can be faked out by these illusions. And Quentin has some pretty elaborate ones. He's picked Peter's brain. He knows that he wants to go to the Eiffel Tower with MJ. And so he creates an illusion where she gets thrown off of the Eiffel Tower. Incidentally, Sony had just made a... MIB International, which has a climax that features the Eiffel Tower. I think the reason why they never go to the Eiffel Tower is they didn't want this movie stepping on their other franchise. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> I didn't even think about that connection, but it makes sense now why Tom Holland and Chris Hemsworth were doing press together when they weren't advertising the same movie. But I love this scene. Oh, it, it is the best scene of this film, yeah. This is incredible when it becomes all the illusions, and the later illusions are good too. I think this is almost on par with Into the Spider-Verse in some of its visuals and the way it goes nuts, and yeah, I think it's bringing in Marvel zombies. You know, that was a big thing before Disney bought Marvel. They'd allow heroes to be zombies. We get to see an Iron Man dig out of the grave with his skull underneath and spiders. Yeah, I just love this whole scene. It's a real trip. As You think he's falling long distances, and you never really know what's going on until he gets hit by a train. That is the one real thing. He really got me because Peter gets to Berlin. Nick Fury is waiting for him. How does Nick Fury know? Well, he's Nick Fury, right? And they go to this building where Maria Hill is there and some other people are there. And I'm like, oh my God, none of this is real except for Nick Fury and Peter. And then Nick Fury gets shot. And there's this whole trippy sequence that is, I mean, I just really can't get enough of the mirrors of Spider-Man and how Beck puts him back in his homemade sweatsuit and all of that. I mean, one of the things I really liked with the Doctor Strange film is where they did all that trippy stuff with the magic and and whatnot. Here, I think it's even better, like, what they do, just because it's really incorporated in the film. That was just to demonstrate, hey, there's a different plane of reality. Here, they're incorporating it into the action, into the story, and, yeah, just visually, I, I think it's wonderful. I'll agree that it looks cool, but it's fake, right? It's disappointing that it's not real. It's disappointing that this guy is not actually conjuring these things that is not the threat. The fact that they have to take on the fakery of our times means that this villain can never be as cool as I want him to be. And so, yeah, it's cool to see Spider-Man trapped in a snow globe and all the stuff that they're going to do. It's just a moment. It's like a dream sequence. And so it passes quite quickly. Yeah, I do wish this kind of stuff was more integrated in the film, especially because it's taken over an hour to get to this point. Like, I was so bored in this film until we got to this, and I started to turn around and and feel more positive about what I was seeing. But this finally shows me why Mysterio is a threat, like why he could be a cool villain. It reminds me of the throwaway moment where Batman was attacked by guys in Superman trench coats in Batman v Superman. It feels like a tease for something that you can go read in a comic book that you will never see in a movie. See, and I was thinking this is a better version of Batman Begins Scarecrow where Scarecrow could just give you these visions and drive you insane with his magic dust and drugs. Here, Mysterio's able to do it with drones. He's able to completely disarm Spider-Man, but the real power is when Nick Fury shows back up and shoots back, yet back was Nick Fury. Nick Fury was never here. Maria Hill was never here. It was all Beck trying to get Peter to admit who he told before Beck pushes him in front of a train. I mean, to me, that's dangerous enough. But he already knows that MJ knows. He has the footage of the drone and like the fact that he's going to all these extremes just to find out specifically the students he should kill. Kill them all, right? Like when you're this crazy, this is all just silly. He doesn't want to kill people. Oh, but he does, because then when he realizes that London needs to be this big blowout, he's like, well, it means twice the casualties, but who cares? Yeah, he doesn't want to kill people until he does. It's waffly. 
he does give William a lot of guilt about know that Peter Parker's blood is on your hands because you didn't tell me about the broken drone. Yeah, I believe the movie would like us to believe that there's a part of Quentin that sees himself in Peter and wants to protect him. He says, I was always going to kill Nick Fury, but I really was going to keep you out of this. Now that's impossible. He's hit by a train and he thinks the job is done. But of course, we know this is just another stop on the Euro trip. (laughs) This is my favorite stop on the Euro trip, the Netherlands. I do like this, how he passes out. He just wakes up with soccer hooligans in a jail cell. I've talked about it on Now Playing before. I greatly enjoy the comedy Euro Trip. And some of this movie is feeling like that, including waking up with soccer hooligans. It's, and then breaking out, seeing the guard is wearing his mask and talking to somebody, probably his wife on the phone who's pregnant, saying he caught Night Monkey. Yeah, what this movie does best is bits. I I don't know what to say. It's somewhat charming. My frustration is that I'm inundated with bits, and when I'm trying to find the movie, it's all a, a hologram. It's all an illusion. Like, this is the real movie. The real movie is every time you're laughing at a bit, and whenever they have to get going on the plot, you can just feel everyone being like, oh, really? Do we have to do this? Can't we do five more minutes in a bathroom? I think that the inventiveness of Mysterio's holograms before Peter's hit by a train shows they're relishing that as well. And I agree. When all the myriad Spider-Men are jumping on top of Peter and punching him, one of my problems and one of the reasons I went back and saw the movie twice is I'm like, how can drones do this? How can drones emulate water? How can drones emulate a punch? You know, I get that they can emulate smashing a building, but... They can do like a powerful puff of air or something. I'm willing to go with it. It's iffy, but... This is a movie about a kid that was bit by a radioactive spider and got powers i'm we don't know that we have no idea how he got these powers into the spider verse tells me that's how he got them that's how all the spider-mans got their powers touche but i think that they do well with the action they do better as most of the marvel movies do with the human in the action when He gets to the Netherlands and he has to call Happy and he's in a town that God only knows how you pronounce it. I do love they put up that title card to show you the crazy spelling. (laughs) But this is the worst scene in the movie. This is the most disingenuous scene when they have to get real and he has to cry and he has to do the I'm not Iron Man on the plane thing. What Happy tells him is an out and out lie. He tells him that Tony never second guessed picking him. We know from the last movie he very well second guessed picking him. That was half the plot of the last movie. This is all a BS pep talk that suddenly just has him go, oh, okay, and now we can continue with the movie. We know that is not true. Try a better pep talk because that is a lie. That is a hologram as bad as Mysterio's. (laughs) Ah, you know what? I'm willing to give it because I think there was something with Mr. Stark. I don't feel so good. And as he turns into ash and I I think Tony has some feelings for him. Also, it was revealed Tony expected him to man up without the suits. It had the iron spider suit waiting for him. You don't give somebody a multi-million dollar tech suit if you've just had doubts about them a few minutes earlier. And here, I believe what Happy says But more importantly is what Happy says at the end, which is, what are you going to do? This guy's taking your tech. This guy's going to kill your girl. What are you going to do? Tony doesn't matter. You will never be Iron Man. You are Spider-Man. What are you going to do? I'll give the movie this because 
I did not get verklempt when Tony Stark died in Endgame. I, I'm somewhat cynical, and I thought it was silly how broken up people were getting over that death. But I like this as a tribute to Iron Man, which it is. Like, I kind of got into this moment when Happy's talking to Peter, and, you know, they're pulling up all that same tech that we saw Tony doing, and Peter's doing the same thing, like flipping the holograms and taking the things apart and reconfiguring it, and of course they're going to play Led Zeppelin's Back in Black. Nice little joke there. I don't know. I got into this moment, and I'm like, oh, you know what? This is like an Iron Man greatest hits, and I and I kind of dig this little moment here as a tribute to him. And Spider-Man in the comics has always been smart. He developed the web fluid. He has thought his way out of most of his fights in those early days by figuring out what the weakness was using his brain. And then, yeah, ending with a knockout punch. But here, we're going to see him develop a suit. He says, call up all the Spider-Man suits. Again, a scene I want to freeze frame. (laughs) I caught the comic book Iron Spider is in there. I think I saw Agent Venom was in there. And I think I saw the PS4 Spider-Man suit was in there. The Velocity suit done by Adi Granov. So I really want to freeze frame on that scene a little bit more. But I was touched that they play Back in Black and the, the way Happy just looks at him quietly and sees a young Tony Stark working with the holograms designing the suit. And then Back in Black and yeah, the Led Zeppelin line is a funny capper to an emotional scene. And so what does he figure out to do? We're going to follow the live stream of Flash and figure out they're flying out of London because no planes leave Prague. I think they've been directed there by Mysterio because he needs to kill the three kids. Yeah, who does that? Like, why would you drive to London to fly out? Well, because he's setting up a big fight there. So again, he could be the next Iron Man. And why not kill these kids during the fight? Keep in mind, Edith and Fury have just lured these people from town to town with the talk of upgrades and things. And so I get the feeling that Mr. Harrington got a phone call and said, okay, you're all flying out. You're flying out of London. Hop on this bus to get to London, and then we're going to fly you home. And we are your travel agency, so you do this. London is nowhere near Prague. It would take eight hours. (laughs) It's an island. (laughs) But sure, whatever. But we are finally getting to the action, and I will agree with you guys on this. The first time I saw this movie, when we get the Mysterio reveal that we knew was coming, and he's at the bar, I checked my watch because I'm like, wow, I feel like this movie is endgame long. Now, I wasn't bored or anything. I just felt length. And I looked, I'm like... We're just over an hour into this movie. There's an hour more to go. Yeah, I never check my watch during a film because I hate when people turn on their cell phones. I turned on my cell phone because I had to see how long the story was taking. It was around that same point, Arnie, when they're in the bar. I try to keep a timepiece at all times so that I can know where we're at. And I, I was always shocked that there was so much more to go. Yeah, I knew going in this was a hair over two hours, just long enough to make it 3,000 minutes. But now we're finally getting to the final fight because I've been waiting for this. I've been enjoying what I'm getting, but I've been getting antsy for Spider-Man to do some heroics. And so here... We get them, and again, a lot more slow-mo, a lot more close-ups. I'm just liking the way this is all filmed, or at least presented if it's all CG. Here's the thing I like about Spider-Man. It's always the same thing, but he's got to do that impossible thing. 
that's impossible and he doesn't think he could do it, but then he does it anyway. He gets that Peter Tingle back. And yeah, when he's jumping on those drones and shooting them all and revealing that this is all an illusion, like pretty exciting stuff. Meeting the film on its level. I'm engaged at this point. What you're talking about, what I refer to as the Enter the Dragon, Bruce (laughs) Lee power part, like that's at the very end here. There's a lot before that of just running around on a bridge and flying into elementals and drones popping up to shoot Nick Fury. A lot of that is not very engaging to me. When they finally get to the Hall of Mirrors and Peter has to trust his power and be Bruce Lee and fight drones that he can't see coming at him that was great but this whole sequence i don't think is great this whole sequence feels a lot again like iron man 3 instead of stark suits it's just drones like just drones are not exciting to battle they have missiles and guns on them i get it it's a little repetitive but again i'm talking about when he jumps into the hologram and he's webbing them all together and i love that moment where yeah the drone is finally revealed just floating there in front of nick fury but he got that secret message from happy earlier about surfing and maria hill's got the bazooka to blow it up this is a very comic book film and i'm not gonna ding it for that if you like superhero comics this really fits that kind of storytelling I like Maria Hill on the roof of the bazooka. I see her go up with a case and I'm like, is that going to be a bazooka? And sure enough, it is. I like the way it looks like a very vivid Tron world inside the holograms when he's webbing up all of those. I'll agree with Stuart in that several times. I'm like, well, there was a really big explosion. He's killed all the drones and then more drones show up. There's never ending supply of drones. You see how many drones came out of that satellite? There's a lot. At some point, he's throwing stuffed animals and stuff. Like, it just seemed overly complex. I know they need to do something big for the ending. If you guys are excited by it, great. I did not get excited until we deal with the Peter Tangle. And that's really what this is all about anyway. Like, Peter learning to trust himself, believe in himself, and know that he has the ability to see what other people can't see. Yeah, I mean, he literally goes in with his eyes closed and fights at the end. And, you know, it was a topic of conversation online. Does he have a spider sense? The first movie never referred to a spider sense. Infinity War, you saw the hairs go up on his arm when the Black Order start to attack Earth. Here, this is all about him gaining full control over that Plus, we also have the exciting thing with Happy, who was going to evacuate Ned, Betty, and MJ, who were the targets, and Flash is following them around, and Beck blows up their plane, they go into London Tower, I've been there, I know it more, yes, I saw the crown jewels while I was there, but it's also a place where they tortured people for a long time, so if you take the tour, the guards aren't allowed to say they tortured people, but they are allowed to hypothesize if torture occurred, (laughs) and this device was used, here's what it would have done. And I think with MJ there being so dark, they should have upplayed the torture bit. But I like how she gets her moment. She grabs a mace from a suit of armor and smacks a drone. And then it's followed by a great laugh line when Happy thinks he's Captain America and grabs a shield and throws it and it does nothing. Yeah, I love that. How does Cap do this? I I did like that. The end is pulling it together after what I consider a weaker third act. And so Peter eventually gets to what looks like a wounded Quentin, who is, of course, just another illusion with the real one waiting to kill him. And he sees through it. But he has an important line here. People need to believe, and nowadays they believe in anything. He said that throughout the movie. The bigger the lie, the better they'll believe it, because they're scared. Because of the snap and because of the alien attacks, basically 9-11 and such 
in the Marvel Cinematic Universe has made the people gullible that they'll believe anything if they believe it protects them. Yeah, people are just willing to believe anything at this point. Maybe because they're so scared. Again, I wish the allegory was tighter here. No, I I mean, I definitely think it's true that you're more inclined to, once aliens arrive, you're willing to believe (laughs) a lot. But what he's really done, we don't know this until the mid-credits sequence, is he's launched his plan B. Knowing that he's not going to survive, he's going to rip down the illusion of Spider-Man. And he kind of hinted at that because we see William, Beck is going to tell him, hey, get the holograms going again. And William's like, what's the point? He's like, I know how to spin this. So like, yeah, he had some kind of plan. He was going to frame Spider-Man no matter what had happened. I hate to get meta, but the only reason I think Mysterio is dead is that Jake Gyllenhaal may not want to return and play (laughs) the role again. And I feel Jake Gyllenhaal has his choice of roles and doesn't need this. But I know... Peter puts on the glasses and Peter asks Edith, are there any holograms left? And she says, no, but I'm just not convinced that Beck would be able to make that whole tape and everything unless it is, like you said, Jacob, a deep fake, unless William made the whole thing out of whatever was there and put Beck's face on it. Do we know that he's dead dead? Like, yeah, we see him get shot. He might not have died. Spider-Man just kind of walks away. So we don't That's know. That's what I'm saying is we see him not breathe. We see him like relax and play dead. But I'm not convinced he's dead. I think that this was always the contingency plan. And Peter gets to finally do his plan here on the bridge. It wasn't on the Eiffel Tower, but with Tower Bridge in shambles. <laughs> with his Black Dahlia in shambles. <laughs> yeah, True. And I got to say, it is the biggest reaction moment for my audience. When they kissed, there was a big gush. Really? Okay. My audience, the bigger reactions were always the laugh lines. Here, I think a handful of girls clapped. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no reaction during this. And it is nice. If anything changed about Peter's life, if this trip did anything, this is it. Like, he can finally be real with her, and that will mean something. For going forward. They start with just a couple tentative pecks, and I thought, oh, that's cute, that's high schooly. But he does get his first real kiss there. She finally gives in to her emotions. They have a nice romantic kiss. And then yeah, they have to go their separate ways because he's Spider-Man and has and she has to get back to the people hiding in the vault with the crown jewels. And the relationship is over for Ned as well. When they're landing in Newark, the joke is, of course, they broke up on the plane, but they're also mature about it. It was like a summer camp thing, you know? If you've ever been to a summer camp, you form really close bonds with people, then you go away. I I like that that was Ned and Betty there. And again, Ned got some play. I'm happy for Ned. And that may be May and Happy as well. That's certainly the way May is going to frame it when Peter is asking him. Happy, I think, wants something more. He's hoping that this is maybe something that can grow. But May is calling it a summer flame. She's open to seeing where it might go, but less open than he is. He's intending a relationship. She's like, eh, maybe, but probably not. But they all admit it at the end when Peter's like, I have to get out of here because it's just too uncomfortable. They all admit we're part of each other's lives. And because of their relationships with Peter, they will be connected, whether it's romantically or not. Boy, you're living for this May happy thing, aren't you? (laughs) I can just tell. You're like, no, it might be real. Really? I got the sense that it could be. I'm just saying. I know what you're saying. (laughs) Anyway. I'm happy for happy. 
Anyway, it wouldn't be a Spider-Man movie if we didn't get one sequence of him swinging through Manhattan. And here, this may be one of the most impressive they've ever done, where we finally have him take an MJ. They got their Ramones in here. They, I want to be your boyfriend. I felt like the last movie, they were scared to end on this note. This is the Raimi note. Yes! You end with the web swinging. And to have the big web swinging through the city, doing the moves gloriously, I thought they were in Raimi's shadow. Here, they feel confident enough to do this and not feel like they're aping Raimi. I love this scene. There's a homage in here, I guarantee, to the PS4 game. He takes a selfie and does like a... V symbol with his fingers, a peace sign. That is a huge feature and advertisement for the PS4 game is Spider-Man's <laughs> able to take selfies in the game and the ad has him doing peace signs and things. I think they're doing a little tie. I like that MJ is texting him, don't swing and text. And But I do feel you're, you're talking about being in the shadow of Raimi or whatnot. I do feel like they're making fun of Raimi at this point. Yeah, you think about those wondrous shots of Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst swinging and they're She's just so lovey-dovey. I love MJ's reaction here. Like, he takes her swinging, and it scares the hell out of her. It's so her, right? It's so this MJ that she would be like, this is gross. I never want to do this again. Bye. Also, it's just tweaking the trope that started with Christopher Reeve's Superman and the can you read my mind flight scene with Lois. The girlfriends have always enjoyed this. But yeah, swinging and being held by one hand when you're above Grand Central Station would be scary. Scary as hell. <laughs> but what are you saying here, Arnie? You're saying that Mysterio has to be alive because otherwise this footage that comes up on the Teletron that J. Jonah Jameson is throwing up from the Bugle wouldn't exist. He couldn't have had this already taped. No, I, I think that was his contingency. And yeah, that was something that was made after he had lost. Yeah, that was my take on it. I do not expect Hall to ever come back. I'm just not putting it past this illusionist to not fake his own death. That's all I'm saying. He hasn't been good enough to come back. Let's just be honest. <laughs> He's just not a good enough villain to want us have a second act. I do. I want to see Gyllenhaal. I like him as Mysterio. I liked him in this movie. And I would like to see him team up with Michael Keaton in the Sinister Six. Yeah, maybe they're building to that. But the biggest reaction from my crowd, Jay Jonah James showing up on the big screen, J.K. Simmons, like people were cheering at that moment. I, I think that is something that has been missed and people want Jay Jonah. I have read so many people online. There have been petitions and things. Make J.K. Simmons J. Jonah Jameson. Was he the best part of the Raimi series? I guess people think so. He's the irreplaceable part. And I've been like, A, he's Commissioner Gordon over on D.C., B, they are distancing themselves from Raimi and things. They don't want to do what's been done. Why would they bring J.K. Simmons back? He was good, but you could recast that. Nope, here's Academy Award winner J.K. Simmons playing crazy J. Jonah Jameson from the fringe website dailybugle.net. And yeah, my audience blew up. I stayed spoiler free. I didn't know going in this. Some people I read did know going in. It was leaked before the movie came out, but I didn't know. It made me happy. I can't lie. Yeah, no, I had a big smile on my face. I, I think J.K. Simmons does that role so well, and so it's just fun to see. Um, It was unexpected. Yeah, I didn't know about this spoiler. So, yeah, this got a legit laugh out of me. What happened to J. Jonah Jameson in Spider-Man 3 asking the little girl for a camera was such a travesty. I'm glad that will not be the final performance of J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson. 
But I guess this is a big deal. Like Spider-Man's identity is revealed now. Uh, Tony Stark didn't have a problem with that. That was kind of the big surprise at the end of the original Iron Man. But here, Spider-Man's a different dynamic. He, he's a, you know, working class kid living in the Queens. He's got to finish high school. He's still got his yeah. senior year. I mean, this was summer break before he goes back and completes his last year. I guess he could get his GED, right? I mean, he could just <laughs> do it from home. I don't know how you go to high school when Scorpion and a bunch of other people are crashing and trying to kill you. I mean, this could go a couple different ways, right? Either it could be quickly disproven and Jonah Jameson is seen as a fringe website or with help from S.H.I.E.L.D. or a number of people, Peter could appear with Spider-Man someplace or maybe they'll go the Iron Man route. I mean, when I first saw Iron Man in 08, I thought they were going very cheekily with that Iron Man is my bodyguard storyline until it ended on I am Iron Man. So maybe he'll just be an out Spider-Man. I mean, that would be another fresh take on the character similar to Aunt May being cool with his heroics would be a Spider-Man without a secret identity. It's been done a little bit in the comics, but it would be yet another way to make the character feel new. And I mean, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has never worried about secret identities until Spider-Man, so... I don't know if they're just done with his as well. Are they going to keep the Talos and Soren secret identities going? Is people at S.H.I.E.L.D. just not going to know that they're being run by Skrull? Well, they're taking orders from Nick. And I think it's a short term. They're temping. You know, I don't know why Talos is still on Earth and doing this for Nick, but... Nick must be doing something. This has to be the lead-in to Captain Marvel 2. I don't think this is going into Guardians or anything. It's just setting up the sequel to Captain Marvel a couple years away. I just feel bad for Samuel L. Jackson. How old is this guy? Because when he's like trying to get out of that beach chair and walk around that spaceship, he looks like his hips hurting, his ankles are hurting, like nothing wants to work. He is 70 years old. Damn. Okay. And he just did the Shaft movie. And... It was in the first Avengers film that he told Joss Whedon, I'm too old to run. Don't make me run. And Joss convinced him to run for a couple scenes. He's not quite the action-y action hero he was in Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah, we like to think of Jackson as eternal and, and youthful. And in a way, he always will be. But yeah, what are they going to do with him? What are they going to do with the universe? None of those questions were answered here. The only tease is, it's what we've always been suspecting. Whatever Phase 4 is, it will be about space. Well, we'll talk about phase four in a moment to close out on phase three. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Spider-Man Far From Home? Jacob. So when me and the wife and the two girls were trying to get to this film, we had a little bit of drama. The The little one, she was having a real forky moment from Toy Story 4. Like she's just having some kind of anxiety. So my wife is like, take the older child, go, and we'll meet you there. And so they showed up around the drone scene. It's like when they finally showed up, she's able to calm her down. And then the little one started panicking again, and my wife had to take her out. And she calmed down. They were able to sit down and watch this. So we finished the film. We're walking to the car. And my wife's like... I really liked that movie, which surprised me because she did not like Homecoming at all. She does not like Tom Holland. We always tease her. Oh, there's your boyfriend, Spider-Man. And so she's like, I really liked this one. And I said, that's because you didn't see half of it. <laughs> you did not have to sit through that first half. She's like, oh, it wasn't good. She's like, I saw that drone scene. I didn't like that on the bus. I'm like, yeah, that first hour and change is real rough for me. I, it turns around, I get into it once we get to Germany and we get the cool effects and just some more of the action kicks in. I, what I like about this film is 
that it kind of just embraces again that crazy comic book logic and it feels like I'm I'm almost just reading a comic book like it, it's not real grounded a lot of weird stuff's going on but there are a lot of problems with this film and, and again a lot of it the humor didn't work for me especially during that first half I don't really know what Mysterio's end goal is here and cool idea with all these ex Stark employees teaming up but what does it really mean but again that second half kind of turns it around and it, it was fun it's not real deep it's very surface level don't believe all the fake news out there but eh, it was fun so i could give this one a mild recommend stewart it's not so far from home or homecoming after all you know what we thought we were getting with tom holland was the story of a boy becoming a man but this does not get anywhere close to the adult world ambitions they were happy to provide a pleasant teenage trip through Europe, it feels like a series of Instagram posts, some funny memes, and occasionally a superhero movie. My disappointment remains that they have not integrated the villain very well. We've already talked about Mysterio's ruse just taking too long, his plan not seeming fully formed, the stakes just aren't big enough for me to call this a great movie. And frankly, I could have just used more exciting fights and things that didn't involve the elementals throughout the film. There's just too much comedy. I'm also a little disappointed that MCU did not reveal their post-Iron Man plans. It ends up leaving the Spider-Man headlining an illusion of an event movie. He has presented a very big film about nothing. This is a story that did not need to be told at all. And so how did I feel about it? Well, they taught me a word in Italian about how I feel about it. Whoa, <laughs> I, I just don't care. I, I won't go so far as, as get out of my face, but I didn't have any feeling about this movie. So I'll be kind because I don't have any hostility. I can say that if you enjoy these characters, it's more of the same. And the goodwill of the Peter Parker and the funny bits gets me through on a very mild green arrow but personally i would have rather gone to the spider-verse again with miles morales i do think that we've seen spider-man recently be a lot more engaging and edgy and fun this spider-man just needs to grow up we need a big boy avenger now he's got to man up and be better and for me this is an improvement over the last one I actually think, while I liked Michael Keaton in the last one, I liked Gyllenhaal's rapport with Tom Holland in this one a lot. When those two share scenes, I'm always very engaged in their characters. I do like some of the high school drama stuff that goes on as well. The first time I saw the movie, I did feel the pace, and I felt that they held off on the Mysterio reveal a little too long and then what happened after that felt like a lot of build-up before we finally got to the final fight uh, you know did we need a side trip in holland it was funny but it also if it hadn't been for the shot of peter picked up in a tulip field i imagine somebody was debating cutting that but the second time i watched it i found myself thanks to my expectations of what's coming the pacing felt much better the jokes hit just as hard and it really hit me on that second viewing that this movie was revolutionary in taking spider-man out of new york the character's a new york icon every movie virtually every cartoon and nearly every comic book always have him in new york city I enjoyed seeing him in a different locale. I think that it mixed it up and made this movie feel fresh. Though I did love the New York shots at the end, seeing Spider-Man and how he would work in Venice, where he can't web-swing so he has to hop over poles and in Berlin, I had a good time watching it. 
So yeah, it's a real solid recommend from me. It's a step down. Again, I was bland on Homecoming, and I'm becoming more discouraged. I feel like what I'd like to see most assuredly for the third film is that they get new writers, new director, someone that wants to take this up to the adult level. You know, like there's two Marvels. We've talked about it. There's the ones that feel really engaging and exciting where big things happen. And then there's the the cute, waffly, funny ones, the Ant-Man and Wasps, where you're like, (laughs) did I really need to watch this? It's just kind of a nothing experience. And I want him to grow up. If this is what high school is, I'm done with that. And I don't mind him going back to high school for another year. And I'll agree with you on one thing, Stuart. I'd like to see another director come in here, too. I mean, as I mentioned, Sam Raimi just brought such a visual panache. And there's not a lot of directors out there that have Sam Raimi's comic book aesthetic that works so well. But John Watts... I kind of put him on the platform of Peyton Reed or Joe Johnston from First Avenger. They're workmen. They'll do. I don't see them as having tremendous vision. I think Watts does fine with the teenage drama stuff, but I'd really like to see somebody come in here and make it pop so that Raimi isn't the high bar against which only Into the Spider-Verse has measured up to. I don't mind him being in high school. Again, I like, it's that Peter Parker thing is that he's always trying to help people and get Aunt May her medicine or take some test at school, but he's got to go save the world. I always thought Peter Parker worked best in high school, so I don't mind that. But yeah, this one, again, usually the sequels are the better ones to me. This is, it's no dark world, but it it is a lesser film, just like Thor 2 is lesser than Thor. So maybe the next one will be Spider-Man's Ragnarok for me. And I guess, like, we don't see eye to eye on Guardians, which one's better. I do think this is better than Homecoming. I think that the action is much better looking. I think that the characters are more well-defined. I like MJ and Peter a lot more than I liked Liz and Peter. I think this is a, a step up, a slight step up. I mean, I like Homecoming, too, but I do think this one's better. I was happily surprised. I wasn't sure what to expect walking in. And I'm not sure what to expect coming up. I mean, despite there being a D23 this year, Marvel is doing a Hall H panel at San Diego where they will likely, two weeks from now, announce what the plans are. So what are the rumors? What do we think could be the two films next year and the thrust of where they want to take the whole universe? Yeah, next year, only two movies, which is a change. There's one in May and one in November. One in May has to be Black Widow. It's shooting now. I've seen paparazzi shots of Scarlett Johansson in the red wig or red dye and the black suit filming. So that is filming now. May seems absolutely right for its release. Okay, good. I want to see that film. Although I have to say, knowing that she's dead makes it less exciting. Yeah, do we know if it's a prequel or they're bringing her back? I guess that hasn't leaked. Either way, it would be disappointing, right? If they killed her only to bring her back again, that would be as equally disappointing as... I agree. Well, here's what happened before she died. Yeah, I think it's here's what happened before she died. And would they really want to launch a Black Widow franchise where they could only tell stories in the past and never have her team up with anyone again? I... But then in November, it looks like we're getting the Eternals. They are heavily casting this. They're making casting announcements. They're looking to have the first openly gay superhero as one of the Eternals. So given the state it appears to be in, a November release feels like it could be right. 
What happened with the Bruce Lee superhero they're working on? That is also, they're working on casting it. People are thinking that'll be the February 2021 movie, Shang-Chi. Okay. And then we all know, yay, James Gunn is back, but he has to do the second Suicide Squad film first. So given that Suicide Squad's coming out next year, kind of looking at May 2021 for Guardians of the Galaxy 3, I mean, it's written. He had the script done before he was fired. It's been approved by everybody. The main cast is already done. They just need to go and shoot it. If he starts shooting next year, that would match the timeline of Guardians 2 exactly. And that sounds like a movie that would finally link up with some of these questions we've been left with with Endgame. Like, it's all fine that they want to tell these prequels and solo films, but what is happening with the universe, the characters, space? Again, why is Nick Fury giving orders to space aliens? I mean, if they do do Eternals, that's a space movie. Okay. I I guess they could put it on Earth, but... I have no idea what Eternals is. Ooh, yeah. That NTs could have been a tie-in to Eternals. I mean, there's no reason the Skrulls couldn't be in Eternals. And then it's looking like November 2021, we finally get Doctor Strange 2, and that feels like a long time since the first Doctor Strange. Mm, Okay. Five years. (laughs) Yeah, who wants that? I mean, and again, I thought I did, but I've been incredibly let down by this iteration of Doctor Strange, and okay. Then 2022, there are three dates announced. February, people are saying Black Panther 2. Sure. May, Captain Marvel 2. Okay. And then July, Sony is always pushing their Spider-Man films to be in July. And so three years from now, Spider-Man 3 feels like that's the July 29th movie. Okay. Missing from the roster? No Ant-Man. Yeah, that's done. Paul Rudd has said there are no plans for an Ant-Man 3 unless fans start a letter writing campaign. The first two Ant-Man films didn't do enough to justify a third solo film. I do think some of these characters work better in team films. Like, have them show up in whatever Avengers thing they're going to come up with. I don't know if I need an Ant-Man standalone. Yeah, even Thor. Like, I think he's going to be great. He's going to be a Guardian now. Yeah, as a Guardian, that will work better for him than as a solo film. Find a way to place Hulk somewhere. I mean, you know, like some of these problematic solo films can be rectified if you find the right partner. Yeah, I agree. Hulk has worked better as a team than he ever worked solo in a film. And I do want Thor to have his own adventures again. I did love Ragnarok. I want Taika Waititi to come back and do another Thor film. But I can't imagine you do Guardians 3 without Thor in it, given how Endgame ended and that... Gunn knew how Endgame was going to end while writing Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Hmm. And we're not going to have any shortage of MCU. It may not be stuff we cover here on Now Playing since we only do the movies, but the Disney Plus Network launches in November this year. They've already announced three live-action series. There's the Loki series and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, both coming out in 2020 as anticipated. Then a show, WandaVision, based on Scarlet Witch and Vision, that's looking at 2021. There's some other series. There's a documentary series. There's going to be an animated What If series that takes place in the MCU, but has announced what if Peggy Carter became Captain America instead of Steve Rogers, and Steve Rogers got an Iron Man suit from Howard Stark, doing for the MCU what the What If comics did for the comics universe for so long, and not announced, but strongly implied, is a Hawkeye series with Jeremy Renner, where... 
Theoretically, he's going to mentor Cape Bishop, who became Hawkeye later in the comics. So any of these characters, Ant-Man, War Machine, the ones who aren't big enough to carry a movie, apparently they have a home on Disney+. Plus. Well, that's what Marvel's going to be doing. What are we going to be doing? Well, we're going to be getting back to Stephen King. I know that's a big one for many people. We, of course, have been putting that on hold so that we could get ready for It Part 2. We're going to build up to that by covering the things that were published before It, which happens to be a short story collection, Skeleton Crew, that contained two short stories. Not so short. Short for King. Yes. But short stories that were made into two different films, we'll be covering those. The Mist, that's the one next week, and then a little film called Mercy the week after that. And I want to say it again for the record, not Misery. Also, we should clarify, Mercy 2014, because there's like 30 films with that title. Right. It's based on a short story called Grandma. It's not even called Mercy. I guess they just thought Grandma wasn't a good Torah title. Meanwhile, if you're a patron this Friday, Eyes Wide Shut. We're going to be getting back to Kubrick, something I always enjoy doing. Yeah, interesting film celebrating its 20th year since release and 20th year since Kubrick died. And he probably was thinking this will be released when you pry it out of my cold, dead hands. And they did. Yeah, 20 years without Kubrick. Has it been that long? I mean, his influence is still with us. And, of course, we'll be finishing off Leone in the weeks ahead. We'll be getting to the new Tarantino. I'm excited about that one. And while summer 2019 hasn't been one of my favorites, I am excited to be getting back to the summer of 1989. That really was a good year for movies. And we'll be finishing off that Gold Level series in August. And I just want to take this time to thank everybody who has supported this show. You know, we're doing this countdown to a thousand episodes online. We're looking at our thousandth episode coming in 2020. Will it be one of these Marvel movies? We're not that pegged down yet, but thank you to everyone who's donated past, present, all the patrons, because I just want to give shout outs to Heath and Steven, who work on editing these shows with me. Miles, who has animated and chosen our snippets, which is in its second year of weekly animated releases now. Stuart and Jacob putting in so many hours recording. And then also Justin, Jerry, Brock, and Marjorie coming in. Jason helping out in so many ways with associate producing and social media. Joe and Justin doing graphic design and the cover art for us. I mean, it takes a village to keep this podcast going. And it also takes a village to support this show. So everybody, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. This is a team effort. And everyone who listens to the show, who donates to the show, you're all part of that team. Here, here. So we'll be back on Friday with Eyes Wide Shut. And then next week with The Mist. And we're rolling the dice because we don't know when we'll ever see The, the Avengers, Avengers Assemble. Assemble. I didn't think I was going to have to save the world this summer. I know that makes me sound like such a jerk. I just, I had this plan with this girl that I really like, and now it's all ruined. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now-playing Avengers Retrospective Series, part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. Lucky for us, we got the best seats in the house. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. 
Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, go to our archives where you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics movie series such as X-Men, The Fantastic Four, Blade, and Punisher. Plus, DC Comics reviews of Green Lantern, Batman, and Superman. Good luck keeping up. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, Back to the Future, The Fast and the Furious, Tron, Avatar, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and many more. I'm bringing the party to you. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Are you going to step up or not? Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, The Godfather, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, and more. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. Get yourself something nice for me. I already did. And? Oh, it's very nice. Very tasteful. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. We need heroes. We need heroes. You. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month, plus even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our host to review. Find the details on our website. It's a small price to pay for salvation. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. Those books are far too advanced for anyone other than the Sorcerer Supreme. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. It's strange. Maybe. Who am I to judge? The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He's pretty good at that, right? Now Playing's Avengers Retrospective Series is edited by Arnie. All right, let's start over. You can edit it. Three, two, one. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. Are you making your voice deeper? No. You are. just did it again. You're the God This man. is my voice. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. You really think that just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Hey, fellas. Hey, wait, where are you going? 
I've got so many more stories to tell. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2019. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Any last words? Hulk! Smash! This all seems like big time, you know, huge superhero kind of stuff. And I mean, I'm just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, sir. Bitch, please, you've been to space. Played by Anguri Rice, which to me sounds like an Indian dish. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'll have the Anguri Rice with mild spice. Extra spice. <laughs> How else is going to be angry? <laughs> the world is being attacked by extra dimensional elementals and Jackson wants Spider-Man to help. I just said Jackson. I wrote Jackson in my notes. <laughs>